Kuchenko was taken down. Buck moved up the board, stepping up Delzano with a hit. Karkner went after Boyle. Oh, they're going to gloves. They're going at it along the board. Now, Karkner went right after him. It had nothing to do with the play. It had everything to do with Boyle going after, getting some punches in on Carlson right. in game yeah, number one. Correct. That's exactly what this is about. Karkner is a left defenseman that ended up over on the right side. And Bickle, he, hit, he hit Boyle. You see Bickle trying to get in there. He's but going he had with his, greening right now. He he's had trying his, to get in there. He had his gloves dropped, did Karkner, and started throwing punches. I think before Boyle knew he was in a fight, even though I'm sure that there were probably some words spoken. The referees are Stephen Walcom and Ian Walsh. You can see Boyle still has his gloves on. Karkner's still trying to get at him. This is going to be interesting to see what the call is going to be. Because Karkner was the aggressor and threw down his gloves and started throwing punches, or at least threw down one glove and started throwing punches. And you clearly saw Boyle still had his gloves and on his hands. Boyle and Zach Smith having some words. Well, you're right. Uh, they, Karkner had one intent and one intent only, and that was retaliation on Brian Boyle for what happened between Boyle and Carlson in game one. That's right. There's Boyle with the hit, and there's Carter. He comes all the way over, and right away, there you see the punches being thrown, and while he's down, he's still throwing punches. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bogdarner goes right to King Flaxenberg. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm -hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. I'm your host, Joe Lazito. So welcome back to all my returning listeners and welcome to all the new listeners. Welcome to episode 65, actual episode 84, part two of my chat with Matt Karkner. If you're a regular listener, you know I have to go through some things here and definitely don't forward through them because you never know. I might throw some new things in, and you definitely don't want to miss it. So first things first, uh, no matter what platform you are listening to this on, if you don't mind, please subscribe to the show. And if you have a minute, if you could like, rate, and review the show, just gives the show a little, high, uh, a little higher visibility. 
and uh, you know, being a, a small time show, mom and pop shop level show, uh, all that stuff definitely helps out. If you're on social media on Twitter, uh, the show Twitter is at Kali Sinbin Pod, Facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles Podcast, and on Instagram, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore Podcast. I know not everybody is on all those platforms. If you're on all the platforms, give it a like, give it a follow. I will return the favor in kind. And if you're so inclined to want to see my personal Twitter account, that is at Joe underscore Lozito. So when you go to any of those uh, social media, that's the uh, words I'm looking for. When you go to any of those social media accounts, you will see the logo there. And that logo is on merchandise. Uh, now today, it's Sunday. It's around 4.30. I know I'm a little late getting this out. Just finished watch the Bills spank the Redskins. Oh, man, that was great. I hope you people watch that game too. Uh, you know, Skins quarterback Heineke, he's, he's kind of gutsy. I, I have respect for him. Uh, he's obviously trying to make an impression with the Redskins coaches, and uh, he plays balls out, so I actually like him. I don't know how good he is, but, I mean, he's going up against a tough defense today. So, uh, once again, I would imagine by the time you're hearing this, uh, maybe I should have said spoiler alert, but the Bills beat the Redskins today, and that's when I am now recording this after that game. Prior to, of course, tonight's uh, televised matchup between the Islanders and Rangers, but we'll talk about that in a second. But it's getting a little chilly out here today. Currently to my left, uh, Mrs. Lazito is on the couch scrolling through her phone under a blanket. I don't think it's that cold, but uh, some of you may. Maybe no better time to get a Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box hoodie, sweatshirt, anything like that. Tons of good stuff in the store. Scroll down slightly past the episode description of this very episode that you're listening to, and you will see two links for merchandise. One is the original logo. One is the uh, alternate logo. And when you go and you check out the merchandise, please, at the end, after you've loaded that card up with goodies, Enter the code CARKS20, C-A-R-K-S-2-0. CARKS20 will get you 20% off your entire order. That is a listener-exclusive discount. And CARKS20 is uh, valid through October 4th, 2021. And why do I promote this merchandise? Trust me, I am not getting rich off it. But I love that logo. And that logo was drawn up by local Long Island artist Joe Marisich. Joe's available for hire. If you have an art project of any kind, not just tunes, uh, reach out to Joe. Very easy to work with. Real good guy. Uh, you can reach out to him on Twitter, at GraphicsJoker. He's on all the social media. You can find him on Facebook uh, or Instagram. But I know most of the time when we correspond, it's either through text or uh, Twitter DM at GraphicsJoker uh, or go to LoudEgg.com. Let him know that you heard about him on Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box, and uh, Joe will not disappoint you. I promise you that. Uh, a few other podcasts I want to tell you about. One is the Fourth Line Voice podcast with my friend Darren up in Saskatoon. Uh, Darren released his Sunday shit show episode today. I've not had time to listen to it yet, but I'm sure it's uh, full of full of good stuff. I love those Sunday episodes where he stares out the window and rants, pumps his fist at the air. I love those things. But uh, Darren puts out two episodes a week on Sundays, like I said, the Sunday shit show. And on Wednesdays, those are his interview shows. Uh, this past Wednesday, he did uh, an episode 
Darren does this thing five toughest, five toughest, five toughest opponents. Um, and by the way, I should say, Darren is um, what's that old expression? Often duplicated, right? No, often imitated, never duplicated. Because I know there's uh, another show out there that's doing something very similar to this. But um, for what it's worth, Darren had it first. So five toughest opponents with Jeff Rogers. And and if you're an old school hockey fan, uh, I know you love Jeff Rogers. Guy's an absolute warrior. Um, I don't know how you could be a hockey fan in the 90s or the 2000s and not be a fan of Jeff Rogers. Just guy, gave, you know, just gave everything he had, fought everybody. And uh, I was actually a little surprised. I thought there would be two guys on his top five list that weren't. And um, maybe you'll feel the same way. But, you know, of course, the five guys he listed were, were all super tough. And uh, Jeff's a great interview. And uh, Darren, actually, I think is an honorary member of the Rogers family now. He's had Jeff on a few times, uh, son Dakota on a few times. So I think he's going over there for Thanksgiving this year. I'm not quite sure. I don't know how far Saskatoon is from Spy Hill, but he's probably heading over there for Thanksgiving. Definitely go back uh, and listen to that uh, Five Toughest Opponents with Jeff Rogers. Listen to the Sunday Shit Show today. I mean, really, just go back and listen to his entire catalog. Um, anybody that you want to hear from is in there. Darren started this whole thing. And, um, you know, go down that rabbit hole. It'll probably take you a couple of weeks, but you won't be disappointed. And also, um, YouTube lately has been removing all the Hockey Fight um, content. Not all of it, but uh, I don't know what. Maybe people are offended. It's the whole cancel culture thing. Is it YouTube with Hockey Fights now? And I know there's a lot of accounts being removed. Well, the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel is still there. Over 2,500 fights. If you've watched the hockey fight on YouTube, chances are it was on the Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. So definitely go to YouTube. Uh, what is it? Subscribe. Subscribe to the Fourth Line Voice channel. You'll get all the updates. Any player you're looking for, I guarantee you, is on there. Just hit that search. Put, uh, put in the player's name. Put in a team name, the league name. He makes it very simple for us. You know, he's a man of the people. So uh, definitely check that out. Another uh, podcast I want you to check out, Five for Fighting podcast, and I'm laughing because uh, that's Alec down in Florida, and Darren dubbed him part-time Oli, which I think is really fucking funny. Um, Five for Fighting podcast, what Alec has done, Alec is, uh, he's half my age, he's 25, he's the baby of the group, uh, and he does these uh, uh, shows Friday nights, I believe they are on in the Enforcer Appreciation Group, where he interviews players and other fight fans, and uh, it's live, so it's interactive. And uh, if you can't watch at the time, those become his Tuesday episodes. So this past Friday, he had on John Searson. Uh, John Searson is uh, he's one of the English hooligans over there that uh, follows the uh, the British league. He's been a, a big help to people like myself and Darren and Alec uh, really has his pulse on uh, the old school British hockey. And uh, I know he's a, he's a good dude and he's an invaluable resource. There's a few of those hooligans over there that, uh, that we all go to for information. So uh, John's a good dude and I can't wait to listen to the episode on Tuesday, but again, check out Alec's back catalog. You know, the um, with the Danbury trashers documentary still, I think it's, it's still taking Netflix by storm. Um, AJ Galante and, and a bunch of the trashers, I guess, uh, Mike Rupp, uh, probably those guys are, are making the rounds now, uh, in the podcast circuit. 
ironically, um, Alec had AJ Galante on, I think last year. Uh, so if you really, you know, like AJ, I love AJ, you know, and he's making the rounds now, but you know, this is the kind of thing where I talk about my podcast and Alex podcast where, uh, and Darren's podcast where we have these guys on because we're passionate about it. Uh, not that it's, it's in the news. So, you know, like I said, give us a chance, give our podcast a listen. Uh, we don't have the, the pomp and circumstance of a lot of the former player podcast. So, uh, but, but I, I know I feel this way. Uh, and I say it to anybody, I'll put my interviews up against anybody's. And I know Darren feels that way. And I know Alec feels that way about their content. So, uh, you know, I love the, I love the fact that for the last probably month, I see AJ Galante doing interviews with, with every podcast, you know, it's great. I love it. But like I said, Alec had, uh, had AJ on last year or earlier this year before all the, the, like I said, the, the hubbub for lack of a better term of the Trashers documentary. So, um, you know, shows like mine, shows like Darren shows like Alec, uh, you know, check out all our back catalog stuff because, you know, we put the work in and, uh, and to be honest with you, even with the bigger name shows, you're not getting interviews as detailed as the ones that we put out. And, you know, I'm not really one to pump my tires in, in, um, real life. I, I'm sort of private, uh, as far as real life stuff goes, but I know the effort that I put in for this show. And I know the effort that Alec puts in and the effort that Darren puts in. So if you want to hear quality content, I would really just say our three shows are up there with anybody. And, uh, I hope they don't mind me saying that because I know they feel the same way. And that's what we're here for to kind of, kind of help each other out because, you know, like I said, we don't have that name recognition as some of the other shows. So, Please definitely, uh, as far as your your interview type shows go, uh, make sure you check out Fourth Line Voice. Make sure you check out Five for Fighting. And uh, just as Darren has the uh, YouTube channel, uh, Alec is the czar of the Enforcer Appreciation page. And, um, you know, that is like uh, being a babysitter full time. And um, I think Darren was a moderator, but I think he stepped down. He was uh, he was getting into uh, I don't want to say he was getting into beefs. He was really just defending himself against stupid people. So um, but it's a full time babysitting job for Alec, who has a real job, too. But for the most part, the group is a fun group. Lots of good stuff on there. Lots of good fight content. So I would definitely recommend uh, joining the Enforcer Appreciation page on Facebook. By the way, I almost forgot um, Darren's. Uh, minor league mayhem tournament is nearing a close. So by the time you're hearing this, there may be another two or three rounds left. So definitely check out his Twitter at uh, fourth line voice, because that's where the, uh, the brackets are. So, uh, so you probably, if you're not familiar with it as of now, you'll be able to go on there and see the brackets and vote on them. Uh, some real tough names in there, but of course you have, the people who want to bitch and moan about who isn't in there, to be honest with you, I would have given up after one one season of doing this. If Darren, he uh, he's resilient, I, I couldn't I couldn't handle it. it it's just you know, you, you pick sixty four guys and then you got to answer why two hundred other guys are, aren't in it. But but I don't know. I think he kind of likes the the back and forth. Me, I just I couldn't do it. But anyway, I digress. Fourth Line Voice Podcast, Five for Fighting Podcast. Check out those back catalogs, second to none. 
The third podcast I want to tell you about is the Bucket Drop podcast, which is currently in hiatus, but with uh, preseason starting, exhibition games starting, I'm sure that uh, he'll be back at it. Uh, Bobby mostly focuses on his team, the Montreal Canadiens, and uh, the Ottawa Senators and the Leafs. Uh, he talks about combat sports, talks about betting. So whereas I'll have a long episode, Darren and Alec have long episodes. Bobby's more of a 15 to 25 minute guy and, um, you know, quick in and out. And uh, it's kind of show you can listen to while you're running errands. And, and Bobby does a great job. He has a good back catalog, too, but he kind of went away from from the interviews. It's now more of a, a solo show. And he's usually uh, recording while he's working or on his boat or something. So uh, but check out the Bucket Drop podcast as well. So just a few more things. As I said, I'm going to say every week going forward until I find it. If you are, uh, as you may or may not know, I collect uh, game-used Islanders Enforcer gear. And there is a jersey out there that uh, I once had within my sights, and then uh, I let it go. And uh, I am angry at myself for letting it go. It is the Islanders white number 48 home jersey worn by Dean Ewan in preseason. Uh, I have the blue one. I want the white one. It was originally sold by Fairmore Sports. And the name on the back is probably removed. So at this point, it's probably a home white Islanders jersey with number 48 on it. If you have it or you know someone who has it, uh, please let me know. I would like to uh, try to make a swap for that jersey. I've been looking for it for years uh, with absolutely zero luck. So as I mentioned, the Islanders' first exhibition game. I think that I think that dates me when I call them exhibition games because I think they call them preseason now and I think they've been preseason for a while. But when I first started watching hockey, they were called exhibition. So that might be something to to look for when you're talking to somebody about the games that happened before the regular season. I think it's they've been preseason now for a while, but I think, you know, back 70s, 80s, I think they were called exhibition. So I still call them exhibition for the most part. So maybe I am dating myself, but uh first exhibition game for the Islanders tonight is at Madison Square Garden against the Rangers. It's on television. By the time you're listening to this, it probably happened already. I'd like to uh, just talk a little bit about the Islanders training camp roster. Obviously, the usual suspects are there. But in terms of toughness, uh, again, it's the usual suspects. Uh, at forward, there's three guys to keep an eye on. Uh, you know, Obviously, everybody knows Matt Martin. Uh, everybody knows or should know Ross Johnston. And the third guy is uh, uh, Andy Andreoff. Now, they signed Andreoff last week. I would imagine that he is destined for Bridgeport after the exhibition season's over. Uh, Bridgeport does not really have any toughness up front. Yannick Turcotte is now with Hershey, uh, and Andreoff will fill that role down there. And, um, you know, he's listed at 6'2", 200, has some NHL experience. Uh, so look up some of his fights, probably on the 4th Line Voice YouTube channel. Uh, tough kid, has some skill. He could definitely fill that role down in Bridgeport. And he could definitely, you know, if, if there was an instance where both uh, Martin and Johnston were hurt, he can come up here and fill the role with the Islanders too. I'm hoping he's getting into the game tonight against the Rangers. I'd like to see. Uh, what he could do in an Islander uniform. Uh, as you know, Martin wears 17, Johnston wears 32, and Dreoff is wearing number 56. On defense, again, usual suspects, Scott Mayfield, number 24. Um, the return of Zdeno Charid, now wearing number 33. 
Uh, two guys from Bridgeport that you may want to keep an eye on. One former guest of the show, Mike Cornell. Uh, I'm glad he's back. Uh, I, again, I would imagine he's ticketed for Bridgeport, but I know if he gets into any of these exhibition games, he's going to play his ass off. So uh, Cornell is wearing number 63, and the captain of Bridgeport is Seth Helgeson. Uh, good for Seth. I know. I don't know how much this stuff means. I know back in the day it used to mean more, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but as a defenseman, you always want those low numbers, especially the single digits. And with uh, Jordan Eberle, now a member of Seattle, number seven was available, and that's the number that Seth Helgeson is wearing. So, um, again, take it for what it is. But to me, I, as a defenseman, I'd rather be number seven than number 84. So, uh, so good for Seth. Obviously, he's making an impression with the organization. I would imagine... After exhibition, Seth and Mike Cornell will be headed to Bridgeport. Uh, Islander defense is pretty set, but uh, but again, I hope these guys get some get some time with the squad in the exhibition season. So, obviously, if you're an Islander fan, the news came out this week: um, Bodie Wild, the only unvaccinated player on the roster, and Lou has made it very clear that if you want to play in this organization. You need to be vaccinated. So uh, I am a, I am a Lou fan. Whether I agree or disagree with that is irrelevant because that's Lou's rule. And I'm not a hypocrite like some people who will cheer him for this, but then bitch and moan about uh, Paul Mary having to cut his hair and shave his beard, you know, because everyone wants to cherry pick which what they like and what they don't like. So uh, this is Lou's rules. He's the boss. He's in charge. Uh, but I commend Bodie Wild for not uh, – for not getting the vaccination. If it's something he doesn't want, he, he shouldn't have to get it. Obviously he's, he's definitely hindering his future with the Islanders and maybe his NHL future, as I'm sure most of these teams, if not all of them are going to conform anyway. Uh, but you know, I've seen Bodie take some heat on social media and not that Bodie wild listens to this show at all. But again, I'm one of these people get vaccinated. If you want, don't get vaccinated. If you don't want personally, if you've listened, I have to be vaccinated because I need to work. My kids have to be vaccinated because they need to go to school. We did not want it, but we don't have a choice. So maybe Bodie Wild had a choice and uh, we'll see where his career goes. So, you know, good for everybody in the organization that was vaccinated. If that's what they wanted, congratulations. Good for you. But also congratulations and good for you to Bodie Wild. I, I hope there's some organization out there that will not hold it against him. I still think he's a pretty good prospect and, you know, hopefully he gets a shot with, with somebody, whether it's in, in the NHL or wherever. I'd hate to see this kid's career go to waste because uh, he didn't want to be forced to put a vaccine in, in his uh, body that he doesn't believe in, but good luck to Bodie. He's still a member of the organization. I think that he's, you know, who the hell knows? I'm not even going to speculate where they're going to try to send him. So, uh, a bit of good news, potentially amazing news for me personally. Uh, yesterday, Bob Nystrom did an autograph signing here uh, on Long Island in East Meadow. And um, I've met Bobby a bunch of times. Most recently, he was at um, the playoff game that uh, Trevor Gillies ended up going to. So uh, after the game, I was kind of hanging out with them. But yeah, you know, both of those guys... You know, Gills or Bobby Nystrom, they're going to draw a crowd. And it's really hard to have a, a a good conversation with someone when there's a mass of fans around. And, 
you know, they should draw a crowd. They're they're both pretty influential former players here. So, uh, but, and I I met Bob uh, a couple years ago after the alumni night um, in when it was in Brooklyn. Um, you know, I met him there. I met him probably. I don't know, seven, eight, nine times in my life, but never really had the opportunity to have a have a conversation in a controlled environment. So uh, I brought him some stuff to get signed, I, and um, we were actually talking about some of the fights on the pictures that uh, I had, and he was started talking about a fight that wasn't on there. And um, my wife has called me an opportunist for a long time, and yesterday I put that skill to good use when I said, you know, Bob, I have a podcast – and uh, I, it would be an honor to have you on as a guest where we could talk about these fights and uh, your whole career if it's something you think you'd be interested in. And, you know, I'm not surprised that he said, oh, sure, I would be interested in that. Because if you've ever met Bob Nystrom, and I think a lot of people on Long Island have, the, the guy's a class act, you know, just just seems to go out of his way for people. Uh, I know one day, many, many years ago in 7-Eleven, he made tea for my wife which uh, made her day because, of course, as a young girl, he was her first crush, which I'm sure he was the first crush of a lot of women of all ages. Uh, but Bob, you know, Bob is a man of the people, similar, you know, similar to Darren, but especially on Long Island, Bob Nystrom, he's Mr. Islander for a reason. So um, it's something I have to follow up with him about. I don't know when it will take place, but um, if it if it happens, it, it would be an amazing honor for me. Um, anyone that gives me the time to let me interview them, it's an honor for me because without the players, this show is not worth listening to. There, there's no reason to have it. And, you know, as far as Islanders royalty goes for, for an old fart like myself, who, you know, basically started watching this team in the mid to late seventies, you have Bob Nystrom, you have Gary Howitt, you have Clark Gillies. And that's not saying that anyone else isn't royalty. You know, I mean, you look at players like Mick Fakoda and, and Eric Cairns and those guys and what they did for this organization as far as enforcing. So, yeah, you know, they're to me, they're another level as well. But I think even even Mickey and, and Cairnsy would say that those three guys, you know, Gillies, um, Nystrom and Howitt are, are kind of – at the top level and, and legendary status, you know, given everything, I mean, Clark's in the hall of fame, you know, uh, Clark and Nystrom have four rings, Howard has two. Uh, so for me, those were three guys I really obviously targeted when I, when I thought to do this show, those would be three pretty big gets for me. So I always kind of felt if I could get one and, and that player enjoyed the experience of being on the show, Maybe that's the case where I could say, hey, if, if you really enjoyed it and you think I know what I'm doing here, do you think maybe you could put in a good word for me with uh, this guy or that guy and and go from there? Um, you know, so uh, so fingers crossed at some point I will hopefully have uh, a nice interview with Mr. Islander Bob Nystrom. Um, I don't really like to put that out there in the atmosphere in the world until uh until everything is all set but uh i was pretty excited to meet him so uh it's hard to contain myself so uh so i want to put it out there and hopefully everything is positive uh you know like i said i i i don't see bob saying yes and then uh and then saying look i don't think i'm really interested i know he's done other shows 
And uh, to me, that's a challenge. Uh, the fact that Bob Nystrom has probably done thousands of interviews in his career. Well, I want to make sure that mine is the most thorough and the most complete and quite frankly, the best Bob Nystrom interview out there. So I, I looked at, look at that as a challenge for myself. So, uh, so I'm up for it and uh, I'm going to start doing my research when, well, by the time you're listening to this, I have started doing my research for an interview that hopefully will come to fruition. So, um, but I want to thank Bob who I'm sure does not listen as of now for being so nice, so courteous, so classy. Uh, it was an honor to meet Bobby Nystrom yesterday. So that brings us to my guest today, Matt Karkner, part two. Um, thank you to everybody for the feedback on part one. Uh, really, really tremendous feedback. Probably uh, the most feedback I've received um, in a long time on episodes. And again, that has nothing to do with me. That's all Matt Karkner. Um, you know, Matt is, uh, he's a guy with a great memory. He knows the game. He remembers this stuff pretty vividly. And, um, and he's a great guest. And, and to be honest with you, as I was talking to him, I was thinking, I know he wants to uh, continue his coaching career, but He's he's very well spoken guy. He knows the game inside and out. And I think if if Matt Karkner really wanted to have a career in television at some point, whether it's as a, a studio analyst or um, uh, an analyst during games, I think he would be great. And and to be honest with you, if you look at the roster that the networks have put together. Um, I think Matt Karkner is just as qualified as anybody on there. Obviously, he'd be a novice at this point. But, um, you know, his resume speaks volumes. Uh, OHL, AHL, NHL, he's been through the wars. And uh, he's got a great personality. So that's the kind of things you want. If I had uh, if I had a network and Matt Karkner wanted to do a um, hockey analyst position for me, I'd hire him in a heartbeat. But I'm sure Matt wants to uh, continue coaching. I think uh, NHL head coaching job is in his future for sure. But again, what I said last week for episode one, why listen to me pump the tires of Matt Karkner when you could hear Matt Karkner tell the story of his career himself. So I hope you people enjoy part two and um, yeah, that's it. All right. Part two, Matt Karkner. Here we go. So you got into uh, some exhibition games and training camp, uh, fought Danny Bois of Ottawa and then your old pal, uh, Martin Grenier, who was with the Flyers at the time. Do you remember those scraps? Yeah, Danny Bois. Um, yeah, I, I just remember uh, I caught Danny Bois off guard. I heard he was pretty heavy-fisted with a heavy-fisted lefty. And, uh, again, I think I started lefty with him, and then I just switched to rights, and I, I caught him with a good one. He he was – that was it for him. Um, Grenier was a – I did – I think I did very well against Grenier. Uh, I think I caught him off guard. He was big and hard to get to, and he was strong. But, uh, again, I think I, I – I did a, a good job against him. Was he still sour about not being the first fight in the <laughs> prospects game? No, I think he got over that. He was, <laughs> he's beyond that now. Uh, Another guy you fought, and it's a guy that you had fought multiple times in your career, uh, Pete Vandermeer, who's fought everybody. Do you remember yeah. your battles with Pistol Pete? Uh, I I don't know. I, there's there was I don't even know how many times we fought, but I know we fought a lot, and it was uh, always. Uh, he was a technical guy, so it was a lo- always a lot of switching and trying to get loose and and uh, fighting for position and 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 all that. So um, I don't remember that yeah. one, but it was probably similar to all the rest of them. Yeah, <laughs> pretty good fights for sure. 
So you played – it's funny because a lot of times Pittsburgh didn't have very tough teams, but it always seems like they were loaded in uh, Wilkes-Barre. A um, couple of guys I want to ask you about. Uh, Dennis Bonvi, you remember playing with Bones? Yeah, yeah he's still top one of those. You know, he, he's one of those uh, class act guys, a legend. You know, he he, he did it more than anyone else, and, and man, he, he did a good job with it. Character on the ice, I you know, seeing how he handled that role and uh, – you know, embraced it and the fans loved him. You know, after his fights, he'd wave to the crowd and, you know, parade to the penalty box. And, but he was a good teammate and he understood the game and was, he really wanted to help guys and, and uh, help them develop and learn and, and be the best they could be. So he was a really good guy to kind of, kind of emulate and, and uh, learn from for sure. Uh, another guy I want to ask you about, and it's not a loaded name. I'm just asking you, uh, I know he's been, uh, in the last couple of years, he's been in the news a lot. Uh, Dan Carcillo, what are your thoughts on him? Oh, Carcy. He was at that time, I didn't know him at all. Mm. And, uh, I heard about his antics on the ice. Mm -hmm. Uh, the guys were telling me that he was barking like a dog, like on all fours at the other bench, uh, one game and this and that, you know, um, and he had a, a few off ice issues. So, I didn't really know what to, to expect with mm-hmm. Carsey, but what happened that year was uh, that we had so many veteran uh, guys, leaders that kind of controlled that and, and got that in line. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Carsey benefited from having some some stable guys around. Uh, for me, he did his job. Mm-hmm. He played hard. He played gritty. Um, he knew when, and when to and when not to uh, – you know, get in those fights and, and kind of send sparks for the team. But yeah, he, he turned out to be a, a pretty effective player. Um, and uh, yeah, I had, I had no issues playing with Carsey um, when I was playing with him. Uh, another guy who was just really, I think, starting to come into his own as, as an enforcer, really tough guy, Wade Brookbank. Yeah. Brookie was great. Uh, love that guy. He was, he was a comedian, man. He, <laughs> he was uh he always used to prank us, you know, and that's we would do it back and forth. But the best one he got me with that we'd always have our waters in the morning. Our uh, Wagner, our strength guys, like you got to drink two waters before you even get into the room. And so I'd have my water bottle with me. I had it half drank, and I went to do something. I came back and I I open up my water uh, to take a swig, and and it's like just the fumes that came out of the water bottle. It, it, <laughs> He farted in my water bottle and closed the lid on it and like waited for me. And I could see him across the room, like just dying laughing at me. Like, well, how the hell do you even do this? Like, how'd you learn the technique for this, Brooke? Uh, But uh, man, he had some good ones. Uh, But again, another like tough, tough character. And and we were pretty well protected that year. We had me, um, Carsey, we had uh, Wade Brookbank, Dennis Bonvey, and. Skolny, uh, geez, I, I don't even know. We we had guys who could do the job, that's for sure. Uh, one guy who I think was in a similar situation as you, he, he, I think at that point he was more of a veteran, and he had he had done the job, and he didn't ever shy away from it. But I think at that point he was more of a leader, and would do it if he had to. And that's uh, Ch- Alain Nazardine. Oh yeah, yeah, no, Al, Naz was he was just a solid, steady. Uh, Great hockey IQ, um, really good leader. And, and again, that's what I, I was t- speaking of is that the team had great leadership. Mm-hmm. And 
Yeah, we're a good team, man. We we lost in the second round. I had some troubles with with that year, um, with with me and and Todd Richards and Dan Balsma. Like at the end, I you know it, I I ended up uh, not playing mm-hmm. the last little bit, which was a you know shock to me. But I I tried to play on, you know, I had my uh, second son uh, Corbin, and the night we had him, the next day we played, and I I think I played on like two hours of sleep. I was awful. I deserve to be, you know, reprimanded, but, but, uh, they benched me and, and I had a piss poor attitude about it. I learned a little bit more about that. I was, I was pissed cause I was a big part of the team all year and to, to bench me in a, in a stage like that, I was, I was very, very angry with them because of the whole situation. It wasn't because of my lack of effort. It was just probably poor judgment on my part and putting the team, uh, in a bad spot because I, I wasn't able to perform that that game but uh anyways going going from that back to Naz is is that he was you know like another coach out there and uh definitely led in the right direction uh he ended up playing a lot of games up in the NHL that year uh, due to an injury um which you know selfishly I wish that was me playing up there but uh you know he did his he did his job and and a class act and uh obviously him being where he is and and his coaching career so far, I'm, I'm, I'm not shocked. Yeah. And then just two other guys who were short time uh, Penguins there. One guy who you're very familiar with uh, from your times with the Islanders, and that's uh, Big Eric Cairns, played two games there. And yeah. then uh, the new media darling, Paul Bissonette, uh, media icon, Biz Nasty, <laughs> played three games there. Uh, do you remember? I mean, I think Cairns was down uh, on rehab or something, but Biz may have been called up from the coast. I'm not sure. Do you remember yeah. those two guys there? I remember Karenzy being there and then we, we tell stories about it because, you know, he, he works with the Islanders mm-hmm. player development. And, uh, uh, I just remember it was me. I think it was, yeah, we had Karen's me, uh, Dennis Bondby, Wade Brookbank. Uh, and like, Ooh, I don't know if anyone would ever want to run into that lineup. It's unfair. Um, uh, but he was, you know, uh, Karenzy was, I think he was coming back from injury and, mm-hmm. you know, he, he was a different level of, of that respect for, for toughness and he you could tell he could go out there and do whatever he wanted and and uh you know he he uh he was just a presence if, if you know what i mean oh, so yeah. i don't think he got into a fight but he scared a lot of people that yeah. were on that day and and he had a lot of backup too so it was definitely a a comforting feeling having someone like that in in the lineup for us um and bis uh bisonette i actually think i played uh, a game on defense with him i know i was practicing with him i can't remember if we played a game or not but he was a d-man and uh very raw at that age he wasn't he wasn't really fighting or anything at that point and i was kind of shocked to see the the path he went on and i never really ran into him after that um but uh you know he was a character and he that's when this whole Twitter thing started and, and we're like, why is he always like, what, what is this social media stuff? Like, you know, us older idiots, we had no clue what it, what it was all about. So um, seeing him go through that and seeing what it turned into for him, you know, that's, that was a pretty smart move by him for sure. Oh, definitely. Uh, at the end of the year, uh, and I'm sure this is an award that means means a ton to you because I know how active you are in the community. Uh, you won the Yannick Dupree Memorial Award, and for those not familiar with it, uh, it's awarded to the AHL player who best represents the spirit spirit of Yannick Dupree with his involvement in the community. And I know I know how involved you are. So that, and not that you do it 
for the accolades. I, I'm, that's not a reason why anyone would do it. Um, but it had to mean something to you, uh, you know, because of all you do in the community. Yeah, no, it was, it was nice to get, uh, get a little bit of, you know, whatever recognition, but again, that's exactly right. We don't do it, um, for any kind of recognition. It's just to, to help. And, and for, for us, I was like, I was given a little bit of a platform to, to, to do some good. And, you know, I was raised that way, you know, you, you got to give back to your community, whatever community you're in, try to try to involve yourself a little bit and, and be a part and, and do your part. So, um, you know, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, few, I think it was earlier that year. And, and, uh, we did, uh, a big fundraiser for the American cancer society. And, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a pretty, pretty cool event, pretty big event that year. And, and, uh, throughout the years, it was different things that I would involve myself, whether it was big brothers, big sisters. Um, we did a Karks Christmas where we give kids in need who, and really a need, like who need mattresses and clothes and, that kind of thing. We just organize uh, team events where where each player would would go and buy for these kids, and it it, it helped uh, each of our you know each of our players on the team to realize how good we do have it. So it was kind of a thing. It, it worked both ways. Whatever you give, you get back uh, automatically just by um, either giving you a new perspective or or you know just that happy feeling. So for me, I, I've always tried to. Um, everywhere I am. And, and, uh, lately it's been a little slowed down, but, uh, I know my kids are, are getting more involved with, with that kind of thing and, and giving back and, and helping out. And, and that's kind of something I want to instill in them as well. That's tremendous. That's uh, well, they have a terrific role model in that you, both you and your wife, uh, and we'll talk, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about, uh, what your wife has done a little bit later. Um, July 3rd, 2007, really the turning point in your career as far as I, I would say so that's when you signed with Ottawa how did that come about yeah that was uh geez that was where I was at my cottage in uh, uh near Westport Ontario and yeah I, I remember getting a call from uh, uh Tim Murray and and uh just getting that offer to play for Ottawa and uh and at first I was like wow I'm like this is shocking like uh there would be nothing cooler than getting to play for my hometown team. So um, he offered me a two-year deal to play in, in uh, you know, Binghamton, Ottawa. And uh, I I didn't really think much about it. I, as soon as I saw Ottawa, I was like, this is going to be a real cool opportunity. And and just to have it in my back door like uh, was, was great for my training. I think it really helped me uh, take the game to the next level, you know, we run the summer skates together. I got to know the guys pretty well. And, uh, you know, it felt, felt right. That's for sure. Um, how, uh, how important was it? I mean, not that it would play in, I mean, I mean, maybe it did. You just said, mentioned that, you know, your mom was diagnosed with cancer and now this would give her the opportunity and, and your family and your, and your buddies, everybody would have the opportunity once you made Ottawa to come and see you play live. I mean, that, that had a, that had to be a factor in it, I would imagine. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. That was a big factor. You know, my father-in-law at the time was a big Sens fan, and and uh, you know that whole year, the first year I signed, I, I didn't play up. Uh, and I think I played one game actually as a forward uh, in the NHL that year um, on the road in Boston. But 
besides that, I didn't get an opportunity. My my father-in-law, unfortunately, he he passed away um, that season, right in the middle of, of the uh, that season when I was in Binghamton, and uh, and it was kind of a you know the next season when I when I made it, I just couldn't you know help but think of him a lot because he was such a dire Sens fan and I we'd call him and he'd talk about the Sens and what they're doing right what they're doing wrong and so for me that was you know kind of would have liked to have been there a year earlier but but uh definitely to to play for for the Sens a lot in more ways than one and that was just one example of it and yes my mom when I when I got to call her and and tell her uh the following season that I made the team out of camp you know that was that was pretty special it was on her birthday actually and oh wow i was able to go home and and tell them the news in person and unfortunately my wife wasn't around because that year i i moved them down to binghamton because i I didn't have faith uh that they wanted to give me the opportunity so my wife and kids were in binghamton uh in school in a rented house and uh i called them and i said hey honey uh you're gonna have to move down to ottawa here soon (laughs) <laughs> so, it's funny how it all works out but but uh yeah definitely a pretty good decision for me to to take my chances in ottawa well when you went down to binghamton that year again right away you're wearing the uh, alternate captain a uh we already talked about playing with yabo we had mentioned uh danny bois um I guess in camp, I want to ask you about Ray Emery, who unfortunately is no longer with us, but he has to be uh, another guy that's a pretty big character. Oh, yeah. No, uh, at the time, uh, yeah, they were coming off a big playoff run there. And uh, when I got to do the first camp with them, you could tell he was, you know, he, he was a character. He was a good guy. He, he uh, you know, had a, a very uh, kind of happy persona. And, and uh, you know, that group was a pretty tight-knit group. Um, I can't say enough about that group, to be honest with you. All, all, all of them were, were class act. So welcomed me with open arms and, and, uh, McGratton there too. I, I think my first, my first year there, I, uh, uh, I think he, I forget who he fought, but, uh, he fought someone and then I ended up fighting Riley Cote and, uh, I broke my hand in that fight and in the box, he's like, oh, it's great to have some backup finally. And then. <laughs> He didn't know. I, I knew it. I knew I broke my hand, but I, I sat out in the box. I tried to do a couple more shifts and it, it didn't work. But uh, Gratz was a one heck of a of a of a tough guy, too. Um, oh, and then yeah. you go along with Chris Neal. Chris Neal uh, really took me under his wing when I when I got to Ottawa. And, you know, he we knew each other from the OHL days when he was in North Bay. Um, and I had a ton of respect for him for the way he played, for sure. Um, go down the list. They're all, all class acts. Chris Phillips was, you know, growing up in, in Ottawa, he was a, you know, I, I watched him closely and, and loved the way he played just a smart, steady defenseman and did everything right. And, uh, again, he, he was great and welcoming me, uh, welcoming me to the team, even though I was, you know, an AHL, you know, slash NHL guy at the time. Uh, that first year in Binghamton, there's two guys I want to ask you about uh, that you battled. One guy's with Bridgeport at the time, later became your teammate. I uh, had him on the show. Uh, really, really fun guy to talk to, and that's Drew Fatta. Uh, do you remember fighting Drew uh, while he was still with Bridgeport? Uh, yeah, I, I think I do remember that. And that was kind of a – I think it was a mismatch type of scenario. I don't know. I, yeah. I forget what happened. I think he ran someone, and, and I had to go grab him. And, 
and uh, do what I had to do with him. But yeah, he was uh, he was a character. I got to play with him uh, a little bit later, and yeah, uh, yeah he was he was just I, I really enjoyed his personality. He was he was upbeat and uh, liked to have a lot of laughs. Uh, he he uh, did mention that it was much better to have you as a teammate than uh, squaring off with you. He did mention that. So yeah, I bet you he did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, another guy you ran into that year, and it's someone that you'd uh, you'd battle with a few times in your career. Um, another guy I've had on the show, and that's Trevor Gillies, who was with Albany at the time. What do you remember about your battles with uh, Gillies? Uh, I just remember like Gillies in, in the OHL. I, I never fought him in the OHL. It was always uh, my buddy, Jack Hardell used to get into the, the fights with him. And uh, for me, for, for Gillies, I think our first fight, geez, were they, I think they were on the power play and it was at the end of a game and, and they, uh, you know, they put Gillies out there. <laughs> I think it was net front. And I was, I was trying to abuse him net front. And then all of a sudden it just happened. And, uh it was good it was a good fight we were, we were throwing left and right and i think i ended up catching him with the hard left i split him in the forehead and uh you know i won that fight and i was i was like wow that was you know because gillies is a tough tough character so yeah. to even get a, a good shot on someone like that was great but he was always you know he did it he, he uh he respected everyone he he fought yeah. um he played by the code and the rules and and uh you know uh I, I was just fortunate in my mind to to get away with that one and, and uh, come out on the right side of it for sure. Now, following season, uh, you go to Ottawa, you go to training camp again with Ottawa. And now you're, I mean, you're, I don't want to say you've pretty much shown everything you could do at the AHL level, but you pretty much have shown everything you could do at the AHL level. And uh, I think Ottawa has a lot of talented players this time. Um, I mean, do you, is there almost like a feeling like I'm just going to do what I can do. And then after that, it's out of my hands. Yeah. So I don't know if many people know this, but that summer I talked with uh, the staff and, and Brian Murray and, and all them and tried to, you know, they were wanting to fill a role because McGratton was leaving and, and uh, you know, they needed some toughness and, and they're like, would you consider playing forward? I'm like, you know what, if, if you need me to play forward, I'll play forward. So that entire summer, I played as a forward. I, I did the entire, almost the entire training camp as a forward. And then the exhibition games came on. And uh, and what happened there was there was a defenseman during the game who had a real bad game. And Corey Houston at the time, who knew me from Binghamton, knew I could play defense. Like I, I knew even before that that the whole season – before I made the NHL, I was ready to play in the NHL. I was I was good enough. I know I was. I just didn't get the chance. And uh, so, anyways, I was playing as forward, and then Corey put me back on D for one game, and everyone was kind of like, whoa, like, Parks is making all the right plays. He's, you know, breaking out pucks. He's defending hard. He's doing all this. He's fighting. He's winning his fights. He's, you know, he's uh, he's great on the penalty kill. I was – I was just playing my game that I always had without that kind of sense of pressure. Um, and again, I played most of the training camp as a forward, some exhibition games as forward, and and those weren't too bad either. I think I was I was more on the line making it either way, you know. But when I went back to D, they I think it opened their eyes and they saw that I had that ability to play and do that dual role. And uh, and yeah, the rest is kind of kind of history. But it's it's just that sense of you, you know, sometimes you're ready 
before you get your chance. You know, you you got to be prepared when you get your opportunity. And I was, and and it just kind of fell into place. So I think I think this is sort of entering entering the the era, the age, and a lot of times guys like Trevor Gillies and Yabo and another guy John Morassi, they're kind of grouped together. They're kind of like these machines, almost like Terminators, you know, cyborgs. And uh, this was your first uh, run in with uh, Morasti, and I think you fought him twice that year. Do you remember fighting John? Oh gosh, yeah, Morasti. Uh... Um, I think Yabo and, and him had a fight earlier in the year and it was a, it was one of those ones that's viral, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, they were just throwing left and right, left and right and straight down the pipe. And it went on forever and ever. And, you know, it, it's, uh, something crazy you, you don't see often live. So, so me seeing that, I'm like, Oh boy, I'm going to be in one here when I, when I fight Morasti. Um, but for me, I just threw as hard as I possibly could. And again, it was kind of like fighting Yabo. It's you're shocked. Like I I'm hitting this guy and I could feel my punches. I could feel them in my fist and connecting and connecting and connecting. And, and after a while, you're just like, Holy God, like <laughs> when's this guy ever going to go down? Yeah. And, uh, finally I landed a good one and, and, uh, must've hit the right spot. And he finally went down, but it didn't seem to face him at all. It's, it's, uh, those guys are, are a different breed. And, uh, the second fight was about two weeks later and I still didn't have the feeling in my hand, my hand. I, I think I broke a, a knuckle, mm-hmm. um, is what they're kind of telling me, but you know, I could play through it. Uh, but my hand was so swollen. I couldn't, I couldn't throw right hand punches. So, you know, Morasti comes up to me, cross checks. He's like, let's go. I'm like, I'm like, I can't throw rights. I'm like, he's like, okay, just throw lefts. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. So I rested my right hand on his shoulder and we just threw, you know, we threw a bunch of, I was throwing these left hand punches that weren't really doing much, but you know, it, it was, uh, it was, a. the first one was better for me. And the second one, uh, obviously, uh, Morasti did pretty well. And, and, uh, you know, again, no one got hurt, but I, I'm just shocked at, at how, those guys can can handle that that kind of uh, kind of damage and, and just keep going. Uh, it's almost like they thrive on it. Like it, it's almost like a video game where you hit them and they get more energy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So th- those were fun to have, but you know, I I don't uh, wasn't looking to to challenge him anymore. It was uh, it's kind of like that thing, you know. I'm I'm playing thirty minutes a game here and I'm fighting these guys and. It, it didn't make much sense at, at the time anymore, but definitely a ton of, ton of respect for them. So the following season really is the season that, uh, that changed the, the whole trajectory of your career. Um, I'm assuming you must've had an amazing camp and it seems like you have all your camps. Like you say, you talk about your fitness that you seem like you have really good camps. I'm assuming this was no different. Uh, I know, um, in a game against Montreal in the exhibition, you did very well. You had a, you fought Alex Henry and Andrew Conboy. Uh, the next night, you fought Eric Nielsen. He, he's on that I love. I love to watch him battle. I find him very entertaining. And I'm assuming when you do well against Montreal, that probably goes a long way with the Ottawa Brass. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So you know, I I knew what I had to do, and and uh, I went out and I, I. Fortunately for me, it seemed like every thing was just working in in my favor and uh my my fights went well i I always you know sean thornton uh we battled a lot but i I give him a ton of credit for he was kind of the first guy uh 
when I when I was going through the exhibition with with Otto, he 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 fought me, and he's like, "Carks, I'm going to give you your shot," you know, because we have had a little history. He's Peterborough Pete, and um, saw him a little bit in the minors there, but uh, it was. It was nice of them to to do that because typically those guys with the reputations don't fight during preseason. So, so uh, yeah, I, I did well, and and uh, again, my my play was great, and and uh, but that was that was it. You know, that was the story. I, I think I told earlier um, how how everything kind of changed. Uh, but yeah, the, you talk about Eric Nielsen. I didn't really know much about him either, and yeah. and uh, Yabo fought him earlier, and actually Eric did very well against Yabo. And, and I was like, oh boy, this guy, you know, he must be a pretty tough kid. And, uh, and when I ended up fighting him, it was kind of out of a big hit. There was a, a big hit late and, and I got a hold of him pretty good and, and, uh, did pretty well. But I just remember him hooting and hollering after, you know, he, he is quite the character. I've heard a lot about this guy and especially his pregame kind of, uh, uh, line announcements he he does a i hear he does an excellent job with that oh, but okay. uh, just a just a, a good dude a good character and and uh yeah he definitely respect for him as well so when i i chatted with jim mckenzie once and i told him how much i hate all samuelson I, he's the most hated probably athlete that i i can't stand in all my years of loving sports samuelson's the number one guy i hate you played with a guy who i can't stand so tell me why i'm wrong about yorko rutu Oh, <laughs> he's that guy that you love to play, play with, right? Yeah. You love to play with. He is a pest. He, he knows how to get under guys skin. Um, he was that the year he had a biting incident. I think that year. That I'm season. not sure about that. I it probably, I just, you know, I, he's yeah. someone I hate. <laughs> yeah, you probably call him a rat, right? Yeah. But and other he, things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, what I, I liked having a guy like that in your lineup sure. because he does spark some energy and some entertainment and he had a great sense of humor. Um, but I, I have tons of respect for him. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, outside looking in, yeah, I, I think you could hate him for sure. But, but that's what, that was the, uh, that was his asset, right? Mm-hmm. So he, he could make, get under guys skin and make them take bad penalties and, you know, he was a good player. He was a smart player. Uh, he did his job. He contributed um, and, uh, you know, had a pretty good career. I mean, that's like I, I said to Jimmy about all the, I mean, the guys that play against him are supposed to hate him. The other team's fans are supposed to hate him. So I guess he's doing his job if I can't stand him. So, yeah, exactly. You know. Exactly. And that's what, you know, I don't know. I don't know if, uh, everything works that way i i still think his teammates don't like him too but um <laughs> i think you're right <laughs> but there's there's a lot of guys like that and i i always think i'm like man i'd love to just grab that guy and you know do bad things to him but uh but uh you know it, it, i'm sure most of those people if they're on your team you, you'd uh, love what they bring to the table yeah i i reluctantly admit that but uh, i still hate that yeah uh, <laughs> So your first uh, fight that year was against uh, Donald Brashear, who was uh, okay. with the Rangers, and you fought him twice more that year. Uh, talk about your battles with Brashear. Yeah, no, I remember going into the game, and uh, fortunately Luke Richardson was still around, and uh, you know he talked to me about it. He's like, he's just going to pull you in real tight and throw those real tight left left punches, and and you just got to be ready for it because it, it does it catches you off guard sometimes if if he connects on those. Because he's a big, strong man, 
Um, and uh, the funny thing is before that we did a, we did like a, a team building with uh, uh, the Canadian, uh, I forget what part it was. It was, uh, it was on Mattawawa and the, the uh, armed forces. And, and we had people who trained the CIA agents come and do like a self-defense type of thing with us. So they, they, we did like two hours of this stuff and it was actually pretty cool, all the stuff they were showing us. But the one thing he showed me is, is when someone gets you in real tight, all you got to do is just stick the palm of your hand into their face and they will, it's like a natural instinct to back away. So it's funny. It just happened that in that fight with Brashear, he got in so tight and I felt like I was, you know, being suffocated and he was throwing these little noogies, uh, punches on the side of my head. And then finally I just reached my hand up between me and his face and I pushed out mm-hmm. and he backed right out. And it was like the perfect distance for right shot. And, and it, and it worked, you know, the, t- the technique worked. Uh, I put Brashear down in that one fight and the other fights were really just kind of clutch and grab. I couldn't, I couldn't get away from him. He, he was just, it's, it's almost, you know, he was kind of more at the end at that point and, and didn't work, really want to exchange heavy, heavy punches. So, so for him, for me to go against a guy like that, I had a ton of respect for watching him through the years. And he was a, you know, a heavy, heavy weight. So, uh, so it was definitely a, it was a confidence booster for sure. So at this point you've played, a few NHL games, but you have never been a part of your hometown team's home opener. And everybody knows the home openers are filled with pomp and circumstance. They do the introductions. It's a, it's a pretty deal. And as a kid from basically right around that neighborhood, what was that day like? And then uh, what was it like hearing your name announced, uh, you know, coming out there? I would imagine there were several goosebumps involved that whole day. Well, uh, opening day in Ottawa, um, again, my hometown, I get to play for my hometown team. Um, you know, I got all my family there uh, and a ton of support. Um, there's nothing better than that. Uh, and uh, just going into the game, I, I at this point, you know, I, I think I said my first game was kind of a surreal experience. This was just like, this was normal. This was, I'm getting prepared for a hockey game and uh, I was just going to go out and play my game and, and have uh, do the best I could. So, so all the extra stuff um, really came after the game, you know, seeing the family, seeing the friends uh, down in, in the underbelly of the rink and, and going out to dinner and, and just kind of, you know, celebrate uh, being part of the Ottawa Senators organization was uh, definitely, definitely a, a great experience. So, Take me, uh, I, I don't remember this. I know I, I obviously watched it because you play in the Islanders. I don't remember it. Maybe my memory is a little sketchy. Did you go end-to-end and then go uh, five-hole on uh, Baron? I Could you refresh my memory on your first NHL goal? Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, that was a pretty exciting experience. Yeah, it was, listen, did I go end-to-end? Yes, I did go end-to-end, and, and I went around Brendan Witt. And I threw, you know, just a shit shot on net that snuck in. It found a hole, and I remember skating in behind the net and realizing it went in, and I was like, wow, this is this is crazy. So, you know, I got the goal. My buddies were so pumped for me, and then Chris Neal was on the ice, and he came and grabbed me, and, you know, it was just – it was cool to do that in my hometown. And, and I believe I got, I got a star that game because I got a goal and an assist. I couldn't find a fight that night unfortunately, or I would have had the Gordie Howe, but, uh, 
but I, I, you know, first game I, I got to, you know, come back out as a star and, and uh, definitely, definitely a, a cool, that doesn't happen often if you know my style of play. So, <laughs> so, so it was, it was an enjoyable experience for sure. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that because the Islanders dressed three guys who, uh, who might have given you a goal, but only one of them was a forward. That was Tim Jackman. Uh, the other two guys were, as you mentioned, Brendan Witt, Andy Sutton. So yeah. I was kind of wondering if, uh, you know, does that enter your mind at all? I have the goal. I have an assist. Yeah. Let, me, let me go do the easy thing. That, you know, yeah. We'll get to the fight. Exactly. exactly. Well, I knew. So me and Tim Jackman had a little bit of history. In the minors, I chased him around mm-hmm. and begged him to fight. He would never. He would. He would always just kind of – you know, play his game. And then I would, I would go and I'd challenge him and he would kind of disappear that way. Um, so I thought maybe, maybe in the NHL, he'd do it. Um, but again, I think he was, he was avoiding me. (laughs) I don't think I saw a lot of them, uh, that game. Um, and at that point uh, we were, I, you know, we were winning the game and, and unselfishly for me, I was like, I don't want to give them a spark or anything. We're, we're going to, you know, we're going to win this game and and move on. So it wasn't sometimes uh, the timing of it doesn't work out. Um, You know, I, we never like to, to engage in a fight unless we're down or we need a little spark. And I think the team was in a good place and I knew we were going to win and, and all that. So, so it, it didn't happen. Uh, And I, and Andy Sutton, he's a big man, but I don't think he, you know, we know each other a little bit uh, from skating in the summers and that kind of thing. Uh, and, uh, I don't think that was going to happen either, but, uh, yeah, it didn't happen. It, it, you know, whatever, it's a, it's a missed opportunity again, but, uh, we won the game. I got a star and that was, that was enough for me. And I love, I love how modest you are in case, uh, people listening, uh, weren't familiar. You didn't get a star. You got the first star. So your, your hometown team, your first opening night with the team. I mean, you know, just talking about the stuff that's going on with your family and your mom, you got a goal, you got an assist and you got to skate out. Everybody that's familiar with hockey knows the, the, the stars of the game. You got to skate out as the first star. I mean, it really couldn't have been any better for your, your first Ottawa Senators opener. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of, uh, again, it was, it was surreal. It was, (laughs) it was a moment I'm, I'm not going to forget. And I was so happy to have, you know, my family there who supported me through, you know, the, the grind of youth hockey and traveling all over the place. And, you know, it was just, it was a real cool experience and, and, to have that, you know, sometimes you wonder if things don't happen for a reason. I got to have my debut in my hometown and, and uh, you know, and, and get that first start. It's, it is pretty, pretty special for sure. Coming off the whole emotional high of the opening night and really there's no better way to start your, your journey with Ottawa. Uh, and then you run into a guy who you know, better than a lot of people i know him a little bit not as well as you and i love the guy what a character uh at this time though he's on a different team this uh would be your first of two dances that you had with eric bolton uh what are your memories of fighting bolts uh i just remember you know knowing who he was obviously he he had a big reputation and was a you know a heavy-fisted player and he actually played a lot back then he was playing like 10 minutes a game and he was effective he was uh flying up and down the wing, throwing the body. He had more skill than people gave him credit for too. Um, at that time he was, you know, he was effective. Uh, I, I just remember, uh, I forget what it was. I, 
we we lined up. I think I I hit him and he backed up and he said, "Hey, you want to go?" And I said, "Okay." And I dropped my gloves and I started throwing. And as I was throwing, he's like, "Not now." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, "What the hell?" And I connected, you know, and I connected well, and you know, bolts went down. I, I'll give myself that one. I, mm-hmm. I won that fight, and uh, I don't know if he was reacting to me hitting them and, and just throwing that line out there. But uh, uh, we, we talked about it after and, and I thought it was quite comical. Um, but yeah, no, Bolts and me, we, we met up later on in, in the island and what a great guy. Yeah, no, he's, I had him on the show and he was awesome. And, you know, just what a character. And I'm, you know, I always say with players like yourself and players like Bolts, like I'm glad if I look at the back of your hockey card, it says Islanders on it because uh, I love having you guys on the team here. So um, another guy you ran into a few times that season and you developed quite a rivalry, the whole Ottawa Toronto thing, uh, Colt Noor, you fought, you fought him four times that year. Uh, seemed like, I don't know if, the, I don't think there was any malice, but it could just be the whole Ottawa Toronto thing. Both guys doing their job. Can you talk about your rivalry with, with uh, Colt Noor? Yeah, God, he was, uh, he was, uh, very tough. You know, he, he, uh, he played his role to a T and he would patrol out there and he, he would run my defensive partner and coax me on, you know, to try to get a spark for the team and all that. And, uh, the first time I fought him, I was, you know, I, I didn't know him. I knew he was pretty heavy fisted and I went into it and I was confident, you know, cause I was doing well with all my other fights. And, uh, you know, we just started throwing and we were pretty wide open, uh, to be honest with you. And I felt like I just got pushed off, off balance, but I wanted to stay in the fight and I kept throwing and, uh, you know, I went down, I went down. It wasn't my best performance, uh, uh, but Colton got me, you know, he, he landed a punch and got me off balance and, and I didn't think much of it. I didn't think I, I lost badly, but then when I watched the replay, I'm like, Jesus, <laughs> I, uh. I left myself pretty open and, and uh, kind of, you know, ticked me off. Obviously, you don't like losing fights and, and especially, you know, the Toronto-Ottawa rivalry. So so that's kind of where it sparked. And and uh, I, I believe uh, the next time we met, um, I think that's – I forget what the sequence was, but I think that's when I got him pretty good and uh, – you know, I, I, I did some damage on him. It was a quick fight. We, we squared up and, and I actually connected real hard. I could, I could feel it. And he went down right away, um, off to the box. And you can actually see, I think there's a video of, you know, his eye just turning black, you know, as he was skating towards the, the box and, and, uh, he had to go off that game. And that's kind of where it started, where we were, we were just trying to knock each other's heads off. Every fight, it was we're, we're wide open and, and just throwing toe-to-toe. And he got me, and I got him a couple times. Uh, I, I think he ended up winning more than I did, but uh, I'll definitely give him credit. He was uh, he was tough and, you know, very heavy-fisted, and, and uh, you know, it, it, was, it was a great rivalry. Another uh, tough guy you fought that year, and he's a little bit smaller than you, but his gas tank, uh, it's similar to Bolt's gas tank, where it just never ends. Um, and he could do some damage too. What's it like fighting Cam Jansen where you know you're in it for the long haul? Oh, geez. Well, yeah, I, you know, me being new, seeing these guys, I've never fought Cam before. I've seen him around, you know, leagues and obviously, uh, you know, watched how he fought and, and it was, they're, they're just marathons, 
And for me, it, it started off and I was just, I was throwing, I was chucking, I was trying to put them down. That's what I did when I fought. I tried to throw as hard as I could uh, to deliver as much damage as I could uh, and end the fight quickly. So fighting Cam was uh, <laughs> a little different animal. You know, he'd not, he's not playing into that game. So I remember him ducking his head and he protected himself real well. And, and uh, in the middle of the fight, he, he's like, hey, I'm like, he's like, Let's go lefty righty. You go lefty, I'll go righty. I'm like, I don't like those odds. I'm like, <laughs> well, we're having a conversation during the fight. You know, he's kind of a he's a comedian. Yeah. And, you know, he's a character, and and uh, I don't think anyone really landed anything substantial. I just think we were real tired by the end of that one. He he loved those marathon fights. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, a, a Cam Jansen fight DVD could be an hour long, and it'll have like seven fights just because they're so long. His fights, yeah. his fights are like old Metallica songs where they're they're epic, epic time <laughs> length of uh, bouts. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, um, yeah, he was great though. Great, uh, good guy for sure. Uh, you also did very well in a bout with Tanner Glass, who was with Vancouver at the time. <laughs> Do you remember that one? <laughs> yeah, because I. I I predicted that one before the game started because in the minors, you know, I was more well-known and, and I, you know, I did a lot of damage. So he kind of, he dodged me all the time in the minors and I saw him getting called up and I'm like, I'm like, I bet you he, he tries to fight me. He wants to make an impression with his team. He's going to try it. And uh, sure enough, he comes up, he hits me, he backs up, we drop the gloves and I'll be honest, it, I, I did very well in that yeah. fight. <laughs> he, he was he was hurting. His face was hurting after that one, and he he went up in weight classes, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, good for him, you yeah. know. He he made a, an impression, and even though he didn't do very well, it's you know just standing up and trying to trying to you know prove that you you want it and you're going to be there for the team. And he he did a good job with that and had a pretty good career. Definitely, and. Um... You had the rematch. You fought Trevor Gillies in the in the American League. Now you guys are on the big stage, NHL, uh, Long Island, Nassau Coliseum. You had the rematch with the with Gills. What do you remember from that one? Oh, I remember the the week leading up to it. I had a huge uh, like afro, um, you know, and and yeah. <laughs> this huge hair. And I forget what it was. Me and Carlson were doing something, and. Uh, uh, he he bet me to shave my head, something like that. And and anyway, so I shaved my head bald that that game. And uh I just remember the game was going so so. We weren't doing very well. And then I think the Isles scored a quick one on us. So we're down a couple goals. And uh I went out and I'm like, Gillies is over there, like he's gonna want to go. So I, I went after him and you know, the whistle blew and he wouldn't look at me. He's like he's like, No, I'm not fighting, we're winning. I'm like, Really? I'm like <laughs> like come on like we you need to go you're 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 here for a reason let's let's get this going and i was coaxing him on for a while and then you know the refs got in there and then they thought it was over and then all of a sudden gills grabbed me and he started chucking these lefts and i'm like oh <laughs> i guess i guess i'm in one so uh yeah he caught me off guard a little bit with that um it was my you know it was me i was initiating the fight but um i thought it was kind of dying down and then uh he definitely got the jump on me on that one. Did a good job. He he caught me with a left on the side of my head. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I got angry, and then I started coming at him, and he pulled me down from on top, wanted to end the fight. So, But uh, Gills is a tough kid. Uh, obviously, uh, he, uh, he got the better of me in that one. Now, you mentioned someone um, 
uh, right before the start of the story when you're talking about your Afro and that's Carlson. Uh, I know you're a modest guy, but if we could be honest, you really have a lot to do with how good of a player he was. You probably taught him all the tricks, right? Absolutely. I knew it. Everything comes from me. I knew it. I knew, I knew it. It's, it's, it was obvious when I saw him play, it was like watching a little version of you. That's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, he came in, he could barely skate in Ottawa. And so we had to go down, uh, to the minors for a little while, figure it out. And, uh, yeah, I taught him how to skate, taught him how to shoot, showed him his vision. It never worked for me, but it worked for him very well. <laughs> so, Something that seems to be a running theme, not just in your career, but in the career of most guys who do the job that you did was when you were in the OHL, you had to uh, establish yourself. Same thing in the American League. And now this season, your first full season in the NHL, you had well over 20 fights. So again, was this just a case of you having to establish yourself in a, in a new league and uh, just, you know, proving to your, your coach and your teammates that you're here to do the job and also showing everybody around the league that if you mess with my team, you're going to have to answer to me. Yeah, pretty much. You know, it's, uh, that's, that's the role I was playing. I, I played a lot and I, you know, I was used very well with Ottawa. They, uh, they gave me my opportunity and I became, you know, part of their defensive core and, um, played a lot that year. I was pretty much injury free. I missed one game because of a, a nerve in my shoulder. I wanted to play, but they pulled me out. So I would have had the full season, which for me was, uh, it was hard to come by. I seemed to always get banged up here and there, which, uh, you know, is not ideal playing the game we play, but, uh, yeah, to, to set, you know, make sure that I'm a valuable asset to the team. And in just the way I play, I, I, I'm always sticking up for my teammates. So when I see something happen, you know, someone takes a run at one of my players, I'm going to, I'm going to send the message and, calm the game down and, and do my job. So that being said, the first year there's, you know, you get those guys who don't really know you as well. And maybe you get a few fights that you normally wouldn't get with uh, some guys kind of under your weight class. Uh, and then from then on, it was, you know, I only got the, the toughest guys in the league after that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it makes it uh, a little, a little more scarce sometimes to, to find fights and, and uh, at that time, uh, you know, I, I was just, I was eager, I was ready, and always willing. This season, obviously the goal in every season is to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, that's a team, you know, team goal. It's why you play the game. If anyone had a season that they didn't win the Stanley Cup, but it, you could call it almost a magical season, I would say this season was was one of those for you. It's based on making making your hometown team the whole way that, you know, starting with the opening night in Ottawa, and then we get to the playoffs. And I, I'm trying to decide which moment is bigger, and, and maybe it's a tie, but can you take me through – game five against Pittsburgh. I think you know where I'm going with this. Can you kind of take me through it? What was it? Triple overtime. And uh, if you could just take me through that game and then um, how it ended. Yeah. Well, that game going in, it was do or die for us. We got, you know, behind the eight ball uh, in the first few games and we were right there with Pitt. We were right there with them the whole way. And and, uh, this was a huge game. We needed to bring it back to Ottawa and and get another win there, take it to game seven. Um, but, you know, obviously we're focused on the task at hand, and that was to win game five. So in Pitt, uh, it, was a, it was a hard-fought game. And, uh, you know, first OT, I was actually – I was playing quite a bit, and I actually had the most chances I've had 
in the playoff series. It seemed like I could have scored, you know, one in, in each overtime with kind of grade A opportunities. Um, you know, I like to say I was robbed, but maybe I just didn't place the puck where I needed to put it. But, you know, we, weird things kind of like that where, where I just found myself jumping into the play, joining on two-on-ones, you know, as a forward. And, and for me, if anyone knows my style, I'm, I'm usually pretty stay-at-home. But, you know, it, I, I kind of had a, a renewed energy and, and just really wanted to get that win to bring us back to, to Ottawa. So, you know, first OT goes by, uh, nothing. Uh, second OT goes by, nothing. At this point, you know, we're coming in between periods. Uh, we got food delivered in. Uh, you know, guys are, are uh, uh, you know, just really trying to recover. They're taking ice, ice baths in between. We're trying to get any kind of energy we can uh, so that we can keep this thing going. And uh, Triple OT, I, I think that game, it was like Volchenkov and, and Carlson, they were playing like 45 minutes that game, something like that. It was insane. Um, and I remember it was, uh, you know, a, a, a shift kind of midway through the uh, third OT, and and I'm looking at <laughs> my D partner. I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if we can keep this going. And, uh, you know, I jumped over. I joined in. Alf, Alfie uh, drove it in wide, cut back. And he hit me at the top of the point, and uh, I just I just ripped a shot, and that's how it goes, right? In in overtime and in, in the playoffs, you you never know who it's going to be, and it's not always a pretty goal. I think it it uh, ricocheted off of Matt Cook's um, ass and in the net, and and that was it. That was his game, and I was kind of sitting there thinking like did that just go in is it like <laughs> and I, I you know I came to the realization when it was like Cullen and, and Sutton and everyone came over and kind of gave me a big bear hug that that yeah man I, I just scored a triple overtime game winning goal in the Stanley Cup playoffs so going from eight years battling to you know try to get a shot to the end of that season scoring you know a huge huge goal to keep us alive that was uh, definitely a surreal a surreal moment in my career. I remember when I was when I was researching this, I was watching the the stuff I have of you on DVD, and and you did that post game interview, and it just I don't know how you did it, how you could speak because you just had this giant smile on your face the whole time, and to talk when you're smiling, it was almost like you look like the Joker from Batman because no matter what you said, you couldn't get that smile off, and it was you know for someone like myself who appreciates the game that you you play. It's just so cool to see it. And, you know, every once in a while, you know, the stars align and something like that happens for, for a player that does the job that you did. And it's just so cool to watch. And I'm sure, you know, I don't know, how was the celebration after? I would imagine you guys are pretty tired as well. Yeah, it was pretty short-lived, you know. Uh, we, we got on the plane and rode back. I think we had obviously had the day off the next day, just kind of treatments for everyone. But I, I got back and uh, – and I, I lived in the town of Carp in uh, near Ottawa, and uh, I got back and there was a big sign right by my house. Um, someone put up on a, I think it was just a big bed sheet, and it just had spray painted "Carp loves Karkner" um, <laughs> after that. So that was pretty cool. You know, it was, it was cool to see the fans at the airport kind of cheering us on. Um, that atmosphere was was very cool for me, and, and not have ever been able to kind of live that out. Um, you know, I got to see it in San Jose. Uh, they had a lot of support there, but to be a part of it in Ottawa and, and get a big goal. Yeah. I, it was hard to get that smile off my face. Uh, you know, a guy who's scored 
uh, a ton in his career probably is a little more composed than I was, but you know, I was, I just couldn't, couldn't believe it really, to be honest with you. And I was focused on the next game and man, we should have won that next game. We're up three, nothing going into the third and it kind of, the wheels fell off and that ended our season. But, uh, that moment was, uh, definitely a good one. No, that's awesome. Um, when you go into the next season now, it, this is still a weird, a weird highlight when I watch it because it just, you're playing an exhibition game against Buffalo and it seems just sort of like an innocuous routine play. And next thing you know, I think you're going for the puck and a player named Dennis McCauley just elbows you right up high. Like it just seemed to come out of nowhere. Uh, do you remember, remember that incident? I have no recollection of that. It was an elbow. Yeah. To the yeah. Head. I don't remember a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, that's what I was wondering because I'm watching it and I'm going, it just seemed like it came out of nowhere. Well, I can tell you that you were very angry. And, I, uh, you I know, know. <laughs> I was like, what is this kid thinking? Yeah. Well, you run into that once in a while, eh? And, yeah. and uh, that's what happened. The year before, I did a ton of fighting. Um, I don't know. You you gave me the numbers, but I remember counting and preseason and everything included. I, I think I was close to 30 fights that year. And so people, people knew who I was and guys uh, trying to make a name for themselves. That's what happens, right? Uh, you were uh, dirty on the nose the year before. Mm. So, yeah, but it was just weird because it just, you know, normally a guy trying to, trying to make a reputational, there's a little bit of respect there, you know, Hey, you know, can you give me a go? I mean, you've all been in the same boat where you got to take on the, the resident heavyweight of the other team. And there's usually respect to it. This whole thing, it just seemed like it came out of nowhere and it was dirty. And, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. That's why I wanted to know if you remembered it because it was a pretty good elbow. Yeah. No, I, you know, I've, I've taken those lumps here and there and I usually have that reaction that you saw. And, mm. you know, that, that was nothing new to me in, in hockey and in the, in, you know, in the AHL that was, mm. That, that happened a ton. So for me, I knew how to handle it, and uh, and that's what you got to see there. Uh, I'm going to throw out a name. You're probably going to chuckle because everyone that uh, everyone has a story about this guy. Uh, you had a new teammate this year, Frankie Lassard. What are your memories of Frankie? My memory is that he had to order like 10 cases of uh, clear tape before <laughs> the season started because those ankles were taped up. Like I, I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've heard about him. I I uh, I played against him a few times in the AHL. I'm, I'm trying to remember. I thought we had one fight, uh, and uh, he kind of, you know, he he is obviously an imposing figure. He's a huge human being, and and uh, he, I think he can curl hundreds each side. Like his arms were enormous. Yeah. But uh, no, Frankie was just a good guy, and yeah. and he knew his role. He did his job. Uh, he spent you know part of the time with us uh, up and down. I think that year with the with the minor league team, but then, uh, you know, he, he spent the majority of it with us in Ottawa. Um, he just did his job. He was, he, he played up and down the wing, you know, played his role to a T had some entertaining fights and, uh, definitely could rock a tight, uh, what was that? Affliction t-shirt. Remember yeah. those? Affliction oh, yeah. t-shirts? oh my gosh. He had those, those were like painted on when we go to a <laughs> restaurant. It's unbelievable. Yeah. He, he could pull it off though, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I'm going to confess it was kind of a loaded question because the first thing anyone remembers about Lassard is the clear tape on the ankle. So I just wanted to see if, if you were in that same boat. That's the one thing everybody remembers about him is that clear tape on the ankles. Yeah, so. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it is something I, I tell my kids too. I'm like, boys, <laughs> 
you want to have loose ankles, you know, you don't, you don't want to yeah. be like Frankie Lassard and duct taping <laughs> those things tight. But, uh, but he um, was a powerful man. He probably needed the, needed the stability. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I saw, I saw him as a youngster when, uh, when he was with the Phantoms. So uh, they, they always had tough teams there. He fit right in. So I saw him when he first turned pro and yeah, uh, yeah tough, tough guy. So yeah. I think, I think he's doing like uh weight training and, and uh, that kind of stuff for, for uh, young prospects and that kind of thing. I think I, I saw that somewhere. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you had a fight that year with the guy who seems like all his fights are toe-to-toe slugfest. You remember fighting Darcy Hordachuk with Florida? Oh, oh yeah, Darcy. <laughs> I, I knew him well. And, again, that's another guy who, who I knew from, I think, his beginnings in the minors. And uh, he had a great reputation, and he could throw. You know, he was just a, uh, a guy who kind of – he was technical enough. He'd get you spinning, try to get you spinning and catch you off balance And while he was throwing. And it, it did. It tr- kind of caught guys off guard. I believe that fight, I, I switched to lefties, and I caught him off guard a little bit with that. And uh, I ended up doing pretty good in that one. But, yeah, it was. I was kind of happy to be able to fight him and kind of see what he was all about because up to that point I wasn't able to uh, to accomplish that. Yeah, another guy, another uh, young, up-and-coming, hungry guy also. Uh, another Vancouver kid, uh, R- uh, Rick Rippon. Uh, you remember fighting him? Yeah, yeah, I remember. And I was like, I, I asked him three times off the face-up, are you sure? Because, like, <laughs> you know, he's a smaller guy. I knew he had a great reputation and, and uh, you know, that he was he was tough. He was like pound for pound, uh, you know, one of the toughest guys uh, you'd go up against. But, you know, a little bit out of his weight class. So, um he stood in there, man. He was, yeah. he stood in there. He was tough and, and he took punches and, you know, at the end he's like, Oh yeah, good, good job. I'm like, wow. I'm like you, <laughs> you were one brave, uh, brave kid. That's for sure. And, and unfortunately, you know, obviously, uh, he had some issues and yeah. uh, God rest his soul. And it's a tough thing to, to have to see happen later on, you know? One thing that uh, leads me to believe that you were destined at some point in your career to be an Islander is that you always seem to have these little things with the Rangers. They always seem to be something. And uh, this season, you fought Derek Bougard. And then um, after the fight, there were allegations of blood flicking by the Ranger bench. What what was the story with with the whole thing that that went down? Um, Well, you know, after... You know, after the fight, I had, I had a lot of adrenaline. I, I knew I, I landed one. I, I don't think I knew how hard I landed that punch. When I saw it on the replay, I'm like, oh, why didn't I just keep throwing? You know, because, you know, Bugard is a big kid, and if he can do some damage if you leave yourself open. So I remember he threw one quick. He, uh, he hit me in the brow, and I felt it, and I just came right back with a harder punch. And uh, he was pretty much out on his feet when I, when I saw him. He just kind of had this death grip on me, and we ended up wrestling, and I, I put him down on the ground um, because I, I just think I thought the fight was over. Regardless, I think I I probably threw him down a little too hard. I think he ended up hurting his shoulder uh, on that. But but you know I had some adrenaline. I hated the Rangers. He he took a kind of it wasn't a dirty hit, but he hit my buddy Winchester, mm-hmm. and I knew I had to take care of it then and and there and. Yeah, just I don't know if it's a hatred for the Rangers, but you know their benches chirping. So I, I, uh, you know, I wet, I, I grabbed the sweat from my brow and started flicking it at them on the bench. Like there's no sweat off my brow. Yeah, 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 <laughs> like an old WWE move. Yeah, and I didn't, uh, I didn't, I didn't realize I was bleeding from the from the eyebrow. So 
you know what? It, it was a kind of a silly incident. Uh, one of those things where you got the adrenaline pumping yeah. and you do stupid things. So, um, but, uh, actually, uh, funny enough, um, Boyle on the other team, I know they were talking and asking about it. I think someone tried to investigate whether I was flicking blood at them or not. And he, he did, he, uh, he remained silent. So, uh, uh there you go. Funny enough that he, he kind of had my back there. Yeah. Um, cause you know what happened later on. Oh yeah. We're going to get to that, <laughs> <laughs> but his silence says a lot because if there was an intentional blood flicking, you think he would say, yeah, absolutely. But the fact that he was silent, I think maybe helps your cause. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. So anyways, I, I got off with a warning there and, and, uh, I didn't do anything silly like that again. For, for a fan like myself, and obviously not so much anymore, but but going back a few years, when you tune into a game, you always, oh, I'm hoping there's a tilt or two, and then you always go, well, who are the big boys? And uh, back during this time when Ottawa played Pittsburgh, you always, well, I would always hope for a big heavyweight tilt between Matt Karkner and Eric Goddard, and you fought him this year. Uh, what's it like fighting the guy known as the Hand of God? Yeah, he... Uh... You know what's funny? I fought him way back in one of the uh, rookie tournaments in Montreal mm-hmm. for going way back there. He was one of those fights, I believe. And uh, I he got me with one early, and then I caught him one uh, kind of right in the forehead. And But I remember him being tough as nails and, and uh, being able to take a punch. I didn't realize how tough he was. Um, going into that fight, I knew he was, he was mic'd up for an HBO 24-7 series, I believe. Okay. So I kind of expected something to happen. Um, and he just came up and like, Hey, let's do this. And, and I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. So we, we squared off and I've been, I, I've been working on a few things. Um, kind of seeing how he fought. He, he would bat a hand out of the air with his left hand. So I, I stuck my left, my left hand right in his face. And as he, he tapped my hand away, he exposed himself, and I came through with a real hard right, and I connected hard. I could feel it. And I was, again, like, how is this guy still standing up? Yeah. And then I, I kept going. I think I got him maybe on the fourth punch. I got him again uh, hard, hard punches. And he stayed in there, and he, he kept fighting. And I'm like, holy crap, this guy is <laughs> like he's just not going down. And uh, we kept going for a little while, and we ended up falling down uh, on the other side. But you know, he had to go off and get looked at in the room because you could see his face swelling up kind of right before your eyes. Um, and uh, sure enough, we go in. I think uh, we're getting into the second period. I He comes back on the bench, and then he comes over, and he's like, let's go, Karks. I'm like, and at this point, like, you couldn't see his eye. Mm-hmm. His, his cheek was kind of meshed into his nose. It was, it was obvious that there was some damage done. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, my god it's like you're we're winning the game um and i'm like you're not fighting like we're not fighting right now your your face is mangled and he just wanted to prove you know prove a point and and show that he was tough i'm like i I, i'm like i'm doing you a favor we're not fighting he grabbed me uh nothing really happened then he went off for good Mm -hmm. and it ended up he had an orbital bone fracture yeah um so to me, I could just tell he, you know, it was pride and all that, but I'm like, I, I just, there was no point in fighting him at that point. It's, uh, you know, uh, first of all, I won the first fight. So, so yeah, <laughs> why well, do the second one and we we're winning the game and, and all that other stuff. But for him to come back out and, 
and want to go again. And, you know, that just showed like another level of toughness. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, did you, did your season end? Did you get hurt? Cause I was looking for stuff that, cause you played, uh, you played 50 games that year and then you didn't start the next season uh, at the start. Did you end up getting hurt? I couldn't find anything about it. Yeah. What happened that year, which was pretty unfortunate. Uh, I, you know, and, and it goes back to my initial knee injury um, where I blew my knee out. So what had happened, I had another scope in the minors at one point, and the recovery was pretty quick. Um, and then this time, yeah, so this one was uh, another issue where I got hit from behind a little bit, and my kneecap gouged into my cartilage. So mm. what I didn't know is I think it was after the Christmas break, I came back, and my knee was just swollen all the time, and, and I, I couldn't really – I couldn't perform. It kept getting worse and worse. Um, I was getting my knee fluid drained uh, before and after games. Like, wow. And finally, I had to get surgery. I just couldn't keep going on one leg. So, yeah, I ended that season with a knee surgery. And uh, it was uh, actually a long recovery. I, I remember um, thinking I'd be back in like four weeks or something like that. But then I, I, you know, you talk to the doctors and, and they're like, no, this is like micro fracture surgery and mm-hmm. which is like a six month recovery. And I'm like, holy, I'm like, yeah. that was never kind of directed to me at, uh, on the, on the consult. And, and, uh, just kind of shocked me that I, I thought I might've had a, a case to sue somebody because I was totally not under the impression I was doing that type of treatment. Um, but anyways, I, I did recover from that and come back. I came back the following year. Yeah, you came back. I, I see uh, you debuted with Binghamton. Was that just uh, rehab to get you down there for a few games, see how the knee was? Yeah, exactly. I, I went down and played, I think it was three games. And, uh, yeah, just to test the knee out, get back into game shape. And, uh, yeah, just try to get back to where I was. You Which, got... again, it stinks because I worked my, my ass off to get in the NHL, and then I have to deal with uh, injuries again, slowing me down. Yeah, while you were down in Binghamton, you got tested by a pretty big dude that was uh, skating for Connecticut at the time named Stu Bickle. Um, you didn't have to, at this point, you're a pretty established guy in the NHL, maybe you didn't have to fight, but was it also a case where you want to get in once the other knee holds up? It was, uh, I think I was, I was just kind of, he, Stu was playing a hard game and, mm-hmm. and, you know, we didn't really have anyone to take care of that guy, so... Mm-hmm. So I figured it was just time for me to, yeah, test, test my knee out, test everything out. You know, I hadn't fought in quite a while. And so, uh, so again, he grabbed me and, and, uh, uh, it was a, it was a decent fight. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just got me back in the, in the saddle again. When you, uh, when you come back to Ottawa, another new teammate, another guy who, uh, who played here, uh, someone who I'm a huge fan of. And I think, uh, again, you talk one of the great characters of the game and one of the great chirpers of the game, and that's Zen and Kanopka. What do you remember about playing with Z? <laughs> oh, Z was holy, holy moly. He, <laughs> you write a book on that guy. I'm sure you've heard heard about him. Oh, but, yeah. uh, no, he. I played against him, you know, way back with the Ottawa 67s. And, and yeah, he was a he was a pain in the butt, that's for sure. Um, but great teammate, you know, he, he liked to have a good time. Um, sometimes a, a little bit too good of a time, but, uh, you know, he, uh, he definitely was, uh, a gamer. He, he fought everyone and, you know, he, he, uh, he was pretty technical in his fights. They'd last a long time. 
and uh, great, great teammate to have and to, to provide energy. Great face-off guy. He was smart. He knew the game uh, very well and uh, very effective, you know, effective player all around. Ten days after fighting Bickle, like you say, you're back up in the NHL. Uh, probably the biggest name that you fought that year was uh, Milan Lucci, too, is with Boston. And uh, in my notes here, I just wrote Slugfest. So you remember fighting Milan? Yeah, yeah, yeah that was uh, that was kind of, you know, that I think that might have been, was that, that must have been early on when I came back. Yeah. Because I, it was one of my first fights. And yep. I was like, wow. I'm like, this guy can throw. And he's he's got this range. Kind of caught me off guard a little bit. But, we, yeah, we just threw back and forth. And, and uh, you know, ended up being a pretty good fight. Um, and, obviously, he, he he's tougher. He's tougher than I thought he was going to be, to be honest with you. So, we'll get on to the playoffs here. And let me set the stage. So, you're playing the Rangers. And uh, I don't know when you find out. But, game one, you find out that you and Z are scratched. Uh, yeah. And then uh, – the aforementioned Brian Boyle, who I think everyone knows he's a pretty big boy, uh, roughed up Eric Carlson a little bit in game one. So uh, then um, game two happened, and uh, t- take me take me through the whole thing. When did you find out you were a scratch for game one? Well, game one, jeez, uh, it, it was kind of silly on my part. Uh, I remember playing a game. I didn't play a ton, and so I decided after the game to, to do a run. This was before, maybe a week or two before playoffs. And, you know, I did a, a run for conditioning and my knee ended up blowing up on me. And again, you know, that's my problem knee. And, and that's kind of my, was my curse trying to get through all this, uh, you know, NHL hockey is just trying to keep my body healthy. And, and so my knee blew up and, and I got it kind of calmed down before the first game of, of playoffs, but they, they said they're, you know, we're going to, we're going to rest you and let that knee recover, blah, blah, blah. So I sat out and then obviously, you know, Boyle ends up, I think he punched Carlson in the head six or seven times and nothing happened. So uh, Paul came in and had a meeting uh, with, with me and Z and, and uh, he's like, you guys obviously saw what happened last night. He's like, I'm putting you guys in the lineup. I'm like, I'm like, me and Z looked at each other. I'm like, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. And uh, me and Z talked. I'm like, Z, I got it. I'll take care of Boyle. Uh, you just you just play your game and, and uh, we'll go from there. So, there, you know, nothing was really planned. But whenever uh, Boyle got out there, uh, me and Billy jumped out on the ice. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, I went up to Boyle before the faceoff even started. I'm like, I'm like, hey, be ready to protect yourself because I'm coming for you, and uh, and he's, you know, kind of shrugged it off as probably intimidation, and so the puck goes into the corner, and I think Boyle hits Zach Smith, and then I just ran after Boyle, I hit him, and then I said, let's, we're going right now, and I gave him his uh, opportunity to kind of protect himself, and he just pissed me off that, you know, being a six foot seven guy, didn't want to protect himself. Mm-hmm. So he knew it was coming. And, uh, so I just started throwing and, and I hit him a couple of times. He went down and then, you know, I started throwing when he was on the ground. Cause there's that, you know, I was furious because I know Boyle's not the type of guy to be intimidating or he's, he's not going to fight, you know, that kind of thing. And when he went after Carlson, I knew it was total, you know, it was fake. It was phony. He's not, He's not intimidating. So 
So I was angry. I was angry at him, and I just kept going and going. And I, I forget who came flying over. Dubinsky, I think, came flying yeah, into I the pile. So, yeah. and everyone else came flying in. And, you know, I, I uh, <laughs> the good thing was my knee still wasn't great. So I had a 39-second game. <laughs> and uh, I got to go ice it in between and get it get it back uh, healthy. I think that game, I actually, I could barely friggin' walk up the uh, the ramp at MSG to to that's get a, ready that's a that big ramp yeah, yeah it's a big ramp too yeah my knee wasn't feeling good uh for that whole series but i i played here and there i got suspended for a couple games um you know and and the good thing was i was nervous i was shaking in the locker room because i'm like oh my gosh we got to kill off a five minute penalty now mm-hmm. and um it kind of gave the team a little bit of life and they killed it off and we ended up winning in overtime and and uh yeah it was it was it was really cool, and and as soon as I, I you know I greeted the guys coming off high five, and Paul comes in, he's like, "That was absolutely fantastic." And then That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> went into went we went into the dressing room, so it was kind of a sigh of relief. We won the game. Uh, I got to send the message, and uh, you know again that was another series where we're going into game seven feeling pretty confident. Um, again, game six, my knee blew up again. And they told me, that, listen, we're saving you for next round. We're going to win this one, and we'll get into the next round. And I didn't get to play that game seven. That's uh, another regret. But, uh, yeah, that was that was uh, pretty entertaining for everyone. <laughs> one, one of the things about Z, and I don't think you realize it until he plays for your team. I'm always someone that likes to get to the rink early, watch the warm-up and everything. What what he did in that game, and I don't know if you remember in the warm up, he was kind of circling Boyle. He was sort of like shadowing him, and it was he was focused on him like a shark almost. So like right from the warm up, he's trying to get that. Like Z's not a physically imposing guy, but he has these mind games that he plays with people. And I saw it here his one season with the Islanders, and right from from the warm up, Boyle. I mean, and he's not stupid. He has to know it's coming anyway. But yeah. just in case he wasn't thinking about it, you have Z there in the warm up, kind of letting him know. And I'm sure he had a few choice words for him too. Oh yeah, no, he did. It was uh, <laughs> it was pretty comical. But uh, yeah, Z was great at that with that mental game and chirp and know, knowing what to say to certain guys to set him off and. Uh, good in the in the room too, you know. Good guy in the room for sure. Uh, how hard was it to uh, not how not how hard was it to sign with the Islanders? How hard was it to leave Ottawa? It was difficult, you know. Um, obviously, it was my hometown. It was you know the best success I've had in the NHL and in my career to that point. And uh, yeah, leaving was tough, but it, you know I. I became a free agent, uh, first time in my career where I was actually in a good position as a free agent. Um, you know, I had a family and, and, uh, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that this contract, it was probably, which I knew it was probably going to be my last contract because of my, my knee and my body, um, obviously breaking down a little bit, but, uh, for Ottawa, I really wanted, all I wanted was a two year deal and I would have stayed there, but they just, you know, Brian, Brian Murray just didn't uh, want to commit on that and and uh, felt that it was time and and uh, for me to move on and we we parted ways. Um, obviously Garth gave me a call and and we reached a deal and uh, I was really happy and and uh, and again, it was one of those moments in my career that kind of was a little surreal, you know to 
to kind of be in that first day of free agency and, and getting a, a lot of action, a lot of calls, a lot of interest. So, so definitely, uh, definitely bittersweet leaving Ottawa, but I was excited for, for a, a new challenge. Did the normally a lockout is a bad thing, but in your case with your with your knee acting up again, was the lockout actually a blessing in disguise that you had more time to rest it? Yeah, a little bit. It was still kind of uh, aggravated through the summer. I went in and I saw the isle, you know, everyone with the Islanders, and and uh, we assessed everything. Everything looked good with my knee. It was just taking time to kind of settle down because I was I was playing through it, right? I was, you know, I was draining my knee and playing through all the pain and all that kind of stuff. So probably just needed a little bit more time to, to settle down. And, and it did, it did. And I had good treatment there, uh, uh, on the Island and, and they, they definitely took care of me. Was it ideal to have a lockout? No, but right. <laughs> you know, it, it was, uh, yeah, a little bit of a blessing in disguise, I guess, for, for me personally. Um, but again, no, no <laughs> lockout was not fun. Right. Right. Um, you played with a couple of really young players at the time, a couple of young hungry lions. Uh, one of them is, is uh, still with the Islanders, took a couple year hiatus. He's back. Uh, another guy moved out West. Uh, what do you remember about a young Matt Martin and a young Travis Hamannick? Yeah, Marty. Uh, I remember him uh, from previous years, uh, you know, just, just doing his job, doing what he does. He goes out, he plays physical, he finishes his checks and, and, you know, I, I remember uh, trying to chase him around when I was in Ottawa to fight. And uh, at that point, he was young, and, and he was like, nah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so uh, so we, we had a good chuckle when we saw each other. And, man, he was just – I could just tell that this kid was was driven and he was going to go places and, and uh, obviously uh, is a key part of that core with the Isles. Um, yeah, just, just a, a good person. Uh, you know, phenomenal athlete off ice, the stuff the guy can do. He's, he's just a freak. So um, yeah, definitely a uh, cool to be able to play alongside Maddie. Uh, what about Travis? Travis. Uh, he was a good guy, good character. Uh, <laughs> I always got mad at him because, you know, it seemed like he would, he would change uh, a little late. And I was always chasing down a two-on-one, so I, I kind of got. I started to say, "Are you trying to like give me the green jacket here with the the plus-minus?" Because <laughs> it's going downhill. But no, Travis, good guy, uh, played hard, um, and uh, you know he he. Uh, I know he was, you know he had he had some tough times on the island, but he was uh, he he's a hell of a D-man. Uh, another defenseman that you played with, another big defenseman. Uh, do you have any memories of playing with Joe Finley? Yeah, big Joe Finley. I remember him very well. He was a huge human being. Again, another big guy, um, just simple D-man. And, uh, you know, he, he had his – he had a short stint with us. But, mm-hmm. uh, again, Joe was did his job. He, you know, I, I think he, he could have did a little better. But, but uh, you know, good good guy. Uh and, uh, yeah, he could throw them for sure, too. Uh, how did you like playing for Cappy? Cappy was – that was a that was a little bit of a change from uh, Paul McLean um, before. You know, um, Cappy's got his little quirks and uh, and his little superstitions, which I picked on fairly quickly. But uh, good guy, good uh, kind of player's coach and, and really does – did care about you. Didn't want to uh, 
you know, didn't want to beat you down too hard. He tried to keep things positive and, and light and, and, uh, you know, he was, uh, he was driven. He's a driven coach and, and wanted to have success. And we, that's when we kind of started getting that playoff success. That's kind of when it started turning in the right direction, um, getting the right people involved and, and all that. So, um, for, for my few years there, it was, uh, not a bad experience. And this was your first uh, first time, uh, I would imagine, associating with Brent Thompson, someone who you'd be associated with for the next several years. What were your uh, impressions of Brent? Uh, Tomer was yeah. intense. Yeah, he was intense. He was a passionate coach, and um, you know, he he was controlled and everything. I just mean like you could sense that he he really wanted the best out of us, and and really demanded it. So for me, as a as a, a D coach, he he was good for me. Um, he was honest, always honest with me, and and uh, that carried over um, later on as well. Uh, a couple of fights you had this season with the Islanders. You had uh, one very prolonged fight with Chris Barch of the Devils. Do you remember that one? Yeah, yeah, kind of. That one was, and again, I I had a long hiatus and and getting back into fighting, and uh, he just got me tied up pretty well and, and was trying to tire me out again. I remember that, and I just couldn't get loose in that fight. It was kind of frustrating, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, more, I thought that was more of a wrestling match than than really a fight. But mm-hmm. uh, he did a good job. He was he was, he was technical, that's for sure. And uh, a player with Toronto that you fought this season and the following season. And uh, there's a fantastic picture of you landing a shot right to the kisser of Fraser McLaren. Uh, what yeah. do you remember fighting about? Uh, remember about fighting Fraser? Yeah, that was, I think that might have been the second time I fought him. I fought him in San Jose, uh, I think when I was with Ottawa. Um, and yeah, big guy. I heard about him and, and I was kind of, you know, surprised he was up in, in the NHL. But yeah, he was big. He was tough. He, he did his job and uh, he, he had a, a real good range on him. So to, to get in, you had to kind of get inside. And, and uh, I think I switched on that one too, kind of caught him off guard when we were squaring off. I, I showed him lefty and then switched to righty real quick. And that's the probably the picture you see of me landing that punch. But yeah, tough, tough kid for sure. And what's it like being the smaller guy in a fight? I would say most of the times in your fights, you were the bigger guy at worst. Maybe it was even, but this season you fought John Scott. Um, bigger than you height-wise, I don't think he's as thick as you are. I don't think he's as strong as you are. But when you fight a guy big, taller than you, uh, that has to be pretty weird. Yeah, no, and I, I think the first fight we had, I think we fought twice. Maybe, maybe it was once that year, once the next, something like that. But uh, the first one we had, he came down, and, and you talk about an elbow. I took his elbow to the chin, and I was seeing stars, and I got really angry and came up to him and grabbed him, and we fought. And that was just having someone that big, and he was strong. He was a pretty strong guy. It was a wrestling match, and we, we didn't really – there wasn't a lot of punches thrown that the first fight. But, yeah, it's definitely a little different grabbing a guy and not being able to reach or – uh, or struggling to gain your your hold on a guy for sure, totally different animal. So one of the things that I always liked about Garth, and I, I wish more GMs would do this. Garth always seemed to be a guy that would reward his American League players. You know, if they did a good job down in the minors, he'd always seem to get them up for a game or two, uh, you know, a weekend, whatever it is. Almost like, hey, thanks for doing the job down there. Here, you know, we'll give you some NHL games. He did that the following season with two guys, and I wonder if you have any memories of uh, Brett Gallant and uh, Justin Johnson. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Their stories coming up in, 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 uh, for that little stint was, uh, it was, it was excellent. And, you know, and, and Gally, uh, and JJ, JJ was just the most respectful human being on the planet. And, and you know, was, was like, Oh, it's awesome being up here with you guys. And, you know, is there, is there anything you, you can, you know, tell me, I'm like, JJ, I'm, I'm sure you'll be fine, buddy. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, Anyway, so so Galley and JJ at that point, I think me and Bolts were still we were still playing, but we're like, boys, go have fun. You know, we didn't have to we didn't have to do the fighting for that little stretch. We let them kind of get their their feet under them, and boy, did they do a great job. It was uh, it was one of those things. Get Gallant is kind of you don't really expect him to be as tough as he is. He, he looks pretty uh, <laughs> pretty kind of lean and lanky and, and you wouldn't suspect him to be tough, but, um, I think it was, it was, uh, Oh geez, I'm forgetting his name in Ottawa. Um, uh, anyways, a, a tougher guy in Ottawa, they, they ended up squaring off and, and the kid just left himself wide open and Galley was counter punching and finally landed one, put him right in his butt. Uh, and then uh, again, the same thing in, in Buffalo with JJ, they were, they're were talking about fighting him and John Scott were talking about fighting and, in the uh in the warm-ups and and john was like nah i'm not fighting my coach told me not to fight you and i'm gonna respect my coach and blah 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 so (laughs) i didn't really expect it and then jj you know somehow he convinced scott to fight they squared off and i saw jj starting to throw these left you know hammers like big lefties and uh and John didn't see them coming. I'm like, is he going to protect himself? Because he's going to get hit with one of these. And then, wham, you know, JJ got him, put John on his butt. John got up and, you know, kind of was laughing about it. <laughs> and I'm like, Scott, did you not know he was a lefty? He's like, I didn't see them. I'm like, how did you not see those coming? Like, they, were, they were coming hard and furious. And uh, so that was that was a pretty cool experience for those guys. And and obviously, yeah, they're warriors, and and Galley's still doing it. He's still playing, and and uh, you know, JJ, man, that, that was a that was a cool thing to see and and uh, and watch. Uh, you remember fighting Ryan Clo, who was with the Devils at the time? Yeah, Clo, me and Clo, Chloe knew each other pretty well, and and uh, in in the minors with Cleveland, and uh, yeah, he was coming back from a kind of a concussion issue, and I forget what happened. He ran someone. I grabbed him. I didn't think. He was going to fight, but then he dropped the gloves and, you know, he, he did a pretty good job. And I was like, why are you fighting? Like, why are you fighting me? He was making a lot of money at the time and, and he had like bad head issues and, and he still does to this day. Mm-hmm. I think he, he still struggles with them, which stinks. Yeah. Cause I think he was a coach with the, the growlers in Newfoundland and he had to kind of take a leave from that because of, uh, you know, head issues and, and that kind of thing. So terrible to, to see that uh happen with guys and i know it does affect a lot of guys but uh yeah chloe was he he was definitely not scared that's for sure tough kid uh, Great another, player. yeah oh yeah another tough guy that uh you know very good resume you kind of gave it to him though you remember fighting jay rosehill oh yeah <laughs> yeah i remember that fight actually um i fought him in the minors and i think the result was pretty similar um uh, Rosie was pretty pissed off, I think, in this fight because I, I did kind of catch him uh, quickly. He he was, I think he he ran uh, one of our forwards, and I got in there real quick, and I didn't give him a chance, and I I just started throwing. Uh, went down pretty good, but 
he he's uh another kid he was a i think he was a character he got in a little bit of trouble was it uh car theft or something uh Jeez, in i don't Bingham? remember oh there was a story there was a story i think they got you know got a, it wasn't really a theft i think right. he, he might have uh borrowed a car for, <laughs> for a joke you know like yeah. something like that i don't know i'd have to read the story over i don't want to i don't want to uh Ale- just say allegedly them. that gets everybody out. allegedly exactly he allegedly, allegedly borrowed a allegedly car something happened in yeah. binghamton and and he was arrested before one of the games and they had to get him out of the the out of prison before the game it was just a story that goes around in the minors and and uh but yeah getting to fight him uh it, you know, it's it's always uh, always fun to be on the winning side. That's for sure. So, tell me about the uh, the stadium series playing at Yankee Stadium against the Rangers. Now, uh, I talked about this with Bolt. Uh, I think he enjoyed the whole experience. I know for sure he was not happy about being a scratch in the game. Uh, what was that whole experience like playing on the the outdoor rink at Yankee Stadium? Well, well skating practice- on it. Yeah, practice was fun. <laughs> it, was, it was a cool experience, obviously being in the underbelly of, at Yankee Stadium and and getting to see you know where these guys are are they're set up, uh, you know their their medical room, their their training room, their showers, all that. How beautiful it was done there, and uh, you know just all the, you know it was kind of a a cool atmosphere, um, skating outdoors and and having we got to have our family and on the ice to do a little public skate. My kids were little at the time. So that was a real cool, cool kind of atmosphere. Um, yeah. When, when I found out I wasn't playing, which was kind of uh, that really, that one really pissed me off because, you know, it's, it's a kind of once in a lifetime thing. And me and bolts are warriors for the team or we're fighting, we're doing everything we can to help the team win. And this game, the ice is so bad. Anyone could play on it. You know what I mean? It, it didn't make much of a difference. Um, and uh yeah we got scratched and we were both like what the what what is going on does cappy not have any feel for this kind of stuff and and, you know i'm not i'm sure they're they're thinking like let's give ourselves the best chance to win this and that um but matt donovan got a chance up uh up to to play that game as a d-man and um you know it's he's he's a he is a good player totally different than me he brings something different than i do he's more offensive and maybe we needed that at the time but yeah we weren't happy me and bolts weren't happy but by the time the puck dropped uh we we made ourselves real comfortable in, in the uh, yankees hot tub and we we're, we're just kind of we were watching the game from from in there after doing our workout and and uh uh kind of uh taking it all in if you if you know what i mean we're making the best of a bad situation Absolutely, absolutely. Um, later that season, there was a game against Florida. Uh, you fought Eric Gabranson. I think he went at – it's funny because uh, he thought that you were fucking with Scotty Upshaw. It wasn't you, and he came in and challenged you. I, I think he would have been better off finding out who really did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Gabranson's a big kid, but he's yeah. not You know, he's not a tough guy by any means, so – um it, it was kind of comical we we're talking in the in the box after and he's like oh i'm lucky i got away with that one like i, I didn't really do much damage I, I i won the fight but i didn't yeah. didn't do any critical damage so uh good for him oh yeah you always like guys uh, standing up for their teammates especially if it's not their primary job so uh, absolutely so full marks to him uh yeah. you finished the season with a couple of good stra- uh good scraps in columbus versus matt calvert and jared bowl you remember those yeah, Calvert was shocking. I was like, what the yeah. hell is going on here? He 
he uh he was running around a little bit and and uh i came in and hit him and he dropped his gloves i'm like what is going on <laughs> how's this guy challenging me and uh you know i fought him and obviously i i put him down and and uh later on i think it was the second period uh you know jared came in he's like hey let's take care of this i'm like okay yeah i understand i'm like it was your buddy though he was the idiot who dropped his gloves he's like i know <laughs> <laughs> so uh so we you know we fought and it was a good fight actually he uh <clears throat> he he hung in there i i think i landed a couple early ones to put him on his heels but he hung in there all the way till the end and Another guy I have a lot of respect with the way he played and, and uh, you know, he'd fight anyone and he did a great job at it. Uh, and then in that off season you had back surgery, correct? Yeah, that was, uh, it wasn't the off season. It was, okay. you're going into training camp, um, you know, and that season ended the way it did with, you know, a lot of call-ups coming up because we were out of the playoff hunt. And uh, yeah, I was, I was just, geared up to get ready for the next season i had an amazing camp everyone was like holy carks you got faster and stronger and everything and I, you know i was blowing the tests out of the water and really excited for the year because i thought i'd made kind of a name for myself in long island finally because the first year with the lockout year it didn't go you know it was it was kind of a you know a shortened season we had some playoff success which was great um, well, I wouldn't say success. We made the playoffs. We, we lost, we, we should have won that round. I, I, I thought as well, I thought we were all over Pittsburgh until they, they changed goalies, uh, you know, from Mark Andre, we seemed to have his number and they put Volkun in mm-hmm. and we couldn't get it past Volkun. But, uh, and that was also the Sidney Crosby diving incident. If you remember all the, oh, yeah. all, all the signs in the stands, of, you know, uh, diving and all that kind of stuff but anyways uh so i was making a name for myself a little bit that second year um just by the way i played and uh, you know nothing changed there but i i was faster i was stronger i felt great i was like wow i'm like if i have a great year here maybe i can extend my career a little bit uh but the body said no my first preseason game i i laid a hit you know and i had felt great up to that point and then boom i just felt something in my leg just it just went on fire um, I had it before where I threw my back out and give it two weeks and I'd be better. I'd feel fine and I'd play through it. But this one just seemed a lot different on the plane ride home, numbness tingling all down my legs. And, and, uh, yeah, I, I knew something was off. So we, we did all the tests and I got a second opinion and I did all kinds of different treatments to try to avoid surgery, but ended up having to have surgery. And that, I knew that was kind of the kiss of death for me at 30 you know, four-year-old guy, 35-year-old guy getting back surgery, you know, with the style I play, it it didn't mean good things were coming, that's for sure. Uh, you ended up down in Bridgeport uh, as a player, and um, I guess this is where the transition went from player, you know, player to player coach. You played 19 games, uh, and Bridgeport at this time – the the way the game was going, you kind of went away from the the one heavyweight or two heavyweights in Bridgeport. Had a, it seemed like they had a lot of guys. Uh, I mean, Galley was still down there, but uh, they had a lot of guys who didn't mind scrapping. Uh, so if you don't mind, I'd like to play some name association with you again uh, on some of these players. Uh, first player is a, a guy that's still with the Islanders right now, Scotty Mayfield. Oh, yeah, Scotty. Yeah, no, you know, everyone knows Scotty. He just yeah. played the hard way. Uh, he wasn't afraid to to uh, 
mix it up a little bit here and there. Um, that wasn't his, obviously, goal, but he, he brought that to the table as well. And I knew he was going to be a hell of a D-man, and uh, it just took him a little bit to get over that hump of that confidence in the NHL. And once he did, man, he's part of that core group up top now. I think this name is going to make you smile because whenever I bring him up, people just talk about what, it, what the person, uh, Scooter Vaughn. No, Scooter. <laughs> a lot of energy in that kid. Yeah, yeah I, I only knew him for the one year, but, man, he, he was uh, he was effective. He'd play all over. He was kind of a rover. He'd play 4D, you know, and uh, he could scrap, man. He could scrap. And uh, But, no, just a very likable guy, positive Um a lot of energy. I remember uh, his warm-ups were, were epic. He'd be dancing and, you know, and, and skipping. And, and, like, you know, he definitely put a smile on your face. When you walk in the room, you see him. Uh, a guy who's become a mainstay in the uh, KHL. I don't know if he's coming back to play this year, but that's Andre Padan. Oh, Padan, yeah. <laughs> he, he liked to drive fast. That's what I remember about Andre. He he had this Charger he bought, or maybe it was a Challenger, yeah. And, and guys who would take rides with them you could see like the, their faces were white when they get out of the car with them <laughs> he, he took it like it was a nascar race to get see how quick he could get to the arena um you know but uh tough kid tough kid i never got to fight him but he always talked about fighting and and techniques and all that kind of stuff he was really passionate about it that's for sure and then uh two guys that just had short stints there uh that season uh mark lewis and uh, dyson stevenson Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, that's now you're really going. That's testing my memory. Yeah, okay. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, again, Stevenson. Yeah, they're again same same thing. I, I don't have much bad things to say about anyone, and yeah, these I'm glad. guys are just stand up <laughs> stand up guys. And I do have about certain guys, but you're not yeah. mentioning them, so I'm. Not go <laughs> well, <that>. I mean, <laughs> listen, I, I, you're more than welcome to freestyle here because normally I just ask about the guys who play a tougher style, and and for most of the tougher guys, you, you get along with the other tougher guys. But uh, feel free. I mean, if if you yeah, want to freestyle, no, go right I'm ahead. Not, I'm not going to unload my trash no, on <laughs> this. That's for sure. No, maybe, I'm good. But maybe uh, one day we'll get we'll grab lunch or something, and uh, and you can do that <laughs> off mic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I remember that year going down and, and like in the minors and they, they, I think I got sent down when they were on a terrible losing streak and they were doing two a days at the rink and everyone was kind of miserable. Uh, I remember Aaron Ness, he, he was there at the time and he, he, I think he rolled his ankle cause you know, the fatigue set in. they were doing two a days and working out and it was and and Snowy called me. He's like, Carks, you don't have to do that because I was coming off like a back surgery, trying to recover, and I don't think my body could handle that at that point. Um, so it was a little interesting, and it was a you know a big step down from the NHL. So it was kind of it's kind of a tough reality that I was put into at that point. But uh, again, there's a lot of good guys to help me out. Like I, I hung out with Galley a lot, and he is a great guy. He's a good hockey guy, and man, he was tough as nails. Uh, I have Galley on my personal uh, minor league enforcer, Mount Rushmore. Uh, out of all yeah. the hockey I've ever watched, he has uh, he is right up there. He's uh, one of my top four guys that uh, that uh, that have it. So yeah, you don't Galley is he's he's arguably the toughest guy still playing right now, even though he's in the American League. You know, you yeah. can you can make a case he's tougher than anyone in the NHL. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. It would, it would be interesting to see. You know. Yeah. Um, 
did you you were obviously the goal is to be in the NHL, but since you're down in the American League and since you're a veteran player and obviously the AHL is a developmental league, um, did you find yourself in sort of a mentor role at this point? Because, you know, sometimes the players, if they don't want to go to a coach and ask them things, they can go to you. You know, you're still playing at that point, especially the defenseman. Did you find yourself being a mentor to some of the younger players? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that was uh, kind of my number one role down there really is. You know, I was trying to get back to get back to the NHL. That was kind of my my goal, but I knew I had to help these young guys along. You know, I had Ryan Pulak. He had, he had uh, uh, Reinhardt, Griffin Reinhardt. He had Mayfield. He had Pelly, uh, Aaron Ness. Like you had you had some good players down there. And uh, for me, it, it was uh, I just wanted to share my knowledge with them as best I could. And and you know, I was playing the games as well with them, so I was I was right there with them. And no better way to to uh, help them along but to show them on ice, right? So I actually remember getting back to my form and and uh, feeling pretty good, you know. Like I, I I was back to being able. I knew I would have been able to play in the NHL if I was given my chance, but I just thought that you know I'm not going to get another chance because my back was bad. But it was great to be able to work with these young D men and and really, you know get to evaluate them. And, and we had talks, you know, me and Snowy had talks about who, who I thought was probably more NHL ready. Was it Griffin Reinhardt or Ryan Pulak at the time? And, and me, I'm glad I got the right answer. I said, Pulak, <laughs> you know, so I was, yeah. I was, I'm glad that I, I assessed it properly, you know, nothing against Griff, but he just yeah. didn't have it. He, he didn't, you know, he didn't have to drive and, and Pooley was a little bit more ready uh, for that. Um, and again, we had, like the D that I got to skate with and work with is, you know, they're all up in the NHL right now. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool to see. I'm pretty uh, happy. I got to be a, a small little part in uh, not, I wouldn't say their development at that point, but I got to play with them and be a little bit of an influence in, in their career that way. Well, I'll, I'll speak for all Islander fans for whatever part you played in their growth. Thank you very much. So, uh, you know, those... well, I'll give it more to Boganicki and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, Brent Thompson. That's for sure. Those guys uh, did a great job with them. Well, all you guys, thank you very much. Cause, uh, yeah. you know, especially, you know, uh, you know, I love, I love Scotty a lot and Pulak and Pelic. I mean, those are cornerstone guys. Now they could be here for a decade if they want to be. So, uh, so those guys are a lot of fun to watch. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Another guy, well, one guy you fought, he had a cup of coffee with Bridgeport. Uh, you fought him twice. I believe he's with Springfield at the time, and that's uh, Matthew Gagnon. Uh, you remember your uh, pair of fights with him? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I, I know the name. Yeah. No, I do, I do remember. They were kind of like scrums in front of the net. Yeah. Uh, he, he To me, he wasn't much of <laughs> of a fight. I don't, I, I'd have to look back at him, but uh, I, I think at that point, you know, there, there wasn't, that many uh guys that i really had to face that were were real intimidating at that mm-hmm. point uh one guy who you did face that had a a very good reputation i don't know if you remember fighting him with manchester and that's josh gratton yeah yeah and i was like i i remember seeing him like oh my gosh i'm like i haven't seen this guy in forever um and that was the night i think uh i think that was where galley was doing uh you know, he was mic'd up and stuff for, uh, uh, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank with that Netflix series. Um, but, uh, anyways, he, he was fighting Bissonette that night. And then, uh, 
then Gratz, he, he ended up running one of the young D-men, and I grabbed him, and we ended up having a pretty good fight. And uh, I hit that guy hard again, and he, geez, he could take a punch. He could still take a punch. And, you know, it ended up being a pretty good fight. And, and uh, I didn't do it too much that year. I was, I was still kind of skeptical with the, the old back surgery, but, uh, you know, ended up stepping up to the plate there and did a pretty decent job. So um, tell me about Hero the Hero, the book that was written <laughs> by uh, Mrs. Karkner and uh, Mrs. Helmer, I would imagine. Yeah, no, that was, that kind of came out of nowhere. And, you know, uh, Pam Helmer and, and Carrie, they're, you know, sisters and they talk all the time, uh, both in the hockey kind of uh, community and, and uh, decided they wanted to do something. They wanted to uh, write a children's book and make it pretty unique uh, and uh, kind of a Christmas book. And geez, they worked on it for quite a while and, and finally got it released and it did very well. It did very well for them. Uh, pretty proud of what they accomplished there and started to, to make a little bit of a name for themselves. They were about to release a second book. And then the, the illustrator, uh, I don't know, he had, he had some mental health issues and he, he just, you know, stopped call or stopped answering calls. Uh, he had pretty much the whole second book done, didn't finish a few things, but you know, legally they couldn't use those illustrations anymore. And, Unfortunately, it kind of came to a close there. It's hero. The hero, of the first book is uh, is still available, but they have not been able to complete the second one, um, which I'm still on my wife and my sister in law about. I think they should finish it and keep that going because it's a pretty pretty cool thing, and it was great for uh, the kids and and the kids' friends to all kind of be a part of as well. And did they do uh, like a, maybe a, a book tour, maybe around around the American League, or maybe just in in local bookstores? Did they get to go out and promote the book? They did a, a little bit, yeah. They you know hockey tournaments, and they they went up, uh, geez, they went up to the Canada Cup in Toronto and and had like you know had a big uh, display up for that. They you know they just it was they marketed it fairly well. Um, they didn't go a hundred percent on it, but. Mm but uh, had enough success where they were happy with. And you can still purchase the book on Amazon, I'd imagine. I believe so. I think it's still there. <laughs> All right. So anyone with kids, anyone with kids who want to read, uh, especially in the world we're in today with so much negativity, why don't you go and check out Hero the Hero book on Amazon and pick it up and uh, give, give your kids some positive messages? That's right. Christmas is coming. That's right. Right <laughs> here before you know it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. As we enter what would end up being your last season as a player, um, I would imagine after the career you had up to this point, how are you feeling physically going into it? Did, did you know that this would probably be your last year or were you going to try to keep going as long as you could? Uh, I wanted at that point, I was, my focus was to play as long as I could. I wanted to get finished my, uh, you know, my last year of my contract as a player and, uh, you know, just kind of, see how far I could take this and, and see where my body was at the end of the year. So my focus was to play and, and to do the best I could. I knew, you know, every day was, <laughs> I had to do a warm up before my warm up just to get my body going in the morning. Cause my, my back and, you know, hips and everything was all, it was all messed up just trying to play and, and the day to day rigors of, of playing pro hockey. It wasn't easy. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so that was my focus and that was my goal. So uh, this, I think, would be an interesting question for people to know. So 
as a player, you have your routine um, on game day. You go to the rink, you have your morning skate, you eat something, you take your nap, you come back to the rink. As a coach, you, you know, you're at the morning skate, then you game plan. When you're a player coach, um, how does how does your day differ? Uh, you know, your your game day routine. How does that differ when you have uh, you're you're a player and a coach? How does that differ from when you're one or the other? Well, you know, it would really only differ if I wasn't playing. If I was playing that day, I'd approach the day as a you know a player and uh, uh, and you know just focus on getting ready for the game and game preparation. Um, player coach, you know, Tomer and Bogey, they eased me into it and. Uh, you know what? What I was given the first year was being the eye in the stands, or eye in the sky, and and uh, watching the game from up top and writing notes on players and people that I, you know, thought were good on the other side. Um, you know, and intro to all the software, the computer, the video uh, systems that we use. So, my a lot of my <clears throat> time when I wasn't playing was just playing around with the video and and seeing how to put a meeting together, um, that kind of thing. So. Um, as a player, you're, you're, practice. If it's a game day, you're, you're doing your morning skate around 10, skate for about, you know, half hour or so and get your body ready, stretch and, and any treatment you need. And then you go home for, for lunch and, and, uh, have your pregame nap and a couple of, you know, two and that's kind of your routine. Um, uh, you just don't get that kind of downtime as much you may get a, a little time for lunch after the, the game prep and all that uh and for me it was a little bit of an adjustment but uh but i was eager to learn and and kind of see what what goes on behind the scenes so uh for islander fans now that still appreciate the physical style game you were able to really witness the growth of one ross johnston who as you may imagine, is one of my favorite players. Uh, talk about uh, Ross's development and uh, now seeing him as, as a, a full-time NHLer. Yeah, no, <clears throat> Ross, uh, you know, big, big man and, uh, you know, a good a good hockey mind. He actually, you know, he understands the game and he, you know, he wanted to give the team a chance to win every night. And he was pretty vocal on the bench and, and you know, did a, a good job in trying to lead the right way. Um, obviously he knew his role. He knew his, uh, his assets. It was his size and his, you know, his toughness and his grit in his game. Um, the biggest thing he worked on was, you know, day-to-day skills. He was working on his skating. He was working to get better. He knew he needed a step to get to that next level. Um, and also with the fighting, that was kind of a, you know, that he had to learn that a little bit as he went and, and overcome some fear. You know, he, he got an injury early in his career where he broke his jaw and that, that set him back a little bit. And he had to kind of get over that and, and, you know, face, face the fear of, of uh, fighting again and, and getting back into it. And he did a great job with that. You know, he was, there was a lot of support. Eric Cairns, player development, obviously uh, had some good conversations with him. I was there. Um, we had Eric Bolton around, which, you know, that was, he had, he had a lot of good influence around him to help him with that part of the game. But, uh, he developed nicely and obviously was rewarded with a real nice contract for him. And it's uh, definitely good to see. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, I think it's, 
you know, players like yourself who play the physical game, it's always, you know, you're the guys that have to pay attention to the details, which is why I think the natural progression for someone like yourself to get right into coaching, I think it, it makes complete sense because you had to work for everything you got. You had to pay attention to the small things, just like a player like Eric Bolton, just like a player like Eric Cairns. And I, I think for someone like Ross, having you guys around, whether it's at the rink or you're a phone call away, it's just, it proves invaluable. And you see it around the league. If you go through the team websites and you see who's on, on the staff, whether it's uh, like Karen Z, director of development or coaches or uh, it, it, anywhere in the hockey ops department, you see it more and more where you have guys who played physical. And like I said, I think it's because you guys were the ones that had to pay attention to the details. And I think having you three around really was invaluable for Ross. And one thing that Karen's always tells me is every year you saw him improve. You saw his skating improve. You saw his hands improve. And I know for a fact that the brass here really likes him. And I just can't wait till he gets a chance to, Maybe he'll never be a full-timer with the way the game is going, but I always know when I watch the games and I see that he's not a scratch, it kind of pumps me up a bit. Yeah, yeah. No, he definitely brings a presence, and that is something, you know, you're you're seeing less of. But, yeah, again, like you said, you know, he, he had a lot of support uh, in every kind of means. Uh, you know, we did a good job with development, uh, you know, in Bridgeport and, and Brent Thompson and, and – and Eric Boganicki too. He's yeah. he likes to study that side of the game as well. Although you know he's not he's not that style of player. He actually scored goals. So, um, <laughs> but uh, you know he he had uh, Ross had a lot of support. And he the good thing is that you know good people who work hard and are goal oriented and want to take the information they they usually do well. And and that was him to a T. Excellent. Uh, so uh, you led the team in penalty minutes this year, and I think a big chunk of that was a late-season game April 10th against uh, Lehigh Valley, uh, where you set the Bridgeport record for penalty minutes in a single game. Uh, it started with a fight with Dalton Smith, and later on, all hell broke loose, and you found yourself with uh, Danik Martell. Can you kind of take me through that game? Yeah, that you know, that was kind of a <laughs> culmination of events, you know, like I – at this point, um, I knew my back wasn't good. It was, you know, I was I was struggling with it. I, I was losing feeling in my leg during games, and you know, like falling over. It was it just wasn't good. I knew I knew I, my days were limited. So for me, I'm going into that game, and we're you know we're hunting for for playoffs for anything like that. You know, we're 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 trying to win games and and uh, keep some hopes alive. But anyways, uh, yeah, I just approached it as any other game, but I think I was a little more uh, <laughs> aggravated, I guess, about my own personal situation. So, uh, the, you know, Lehigh, they had some, some pests on the team, you know, and, and, and I didn't, I just didn't like the way that the kids were now, you know, at this yeah. point in my career, I've been through it and I've, you know, I've seen true tough guys. I've seen uh, middleweight guys who would back it up and, you know, th this new kind of era of kids who just mouth off and never have to pay a consequence. It was just really irritating to me. So, uh, <laughs> so I, I hear you. <laughs> yeah. So I just, you know, kind of took uh, matters into my own hands. Danik Martell, you know, he, I forget what happened. I took a penalty on him. I, I cross-checked him or something. And then he's staring at me like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to grab you and beat the bag out of you. And that's exactly what I did. So, 
So, uh, and there was a, you know, a scrum, I got instigator, I got thrown out of the game. There's, I, I don't know why I got so many penalty minutes, probably because I didn't stop. Uh, you know, the lines came in, and I kept going and, and all that. So they just wanted to get rid of me. And anyways, it was, uh, it was, uh, <laughs> I don't even know how many penalty minutes. It wasn't my record. It was uh, like 38 or something like that, penalty minutes. Well, it's the Bridgeport team record, not yeah, your personal record. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it was, the guys were like, how the hell did you get that many penalty minutes in one game? I'm like, that's not even my record. So <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about it. Um, yeah. So a little bit of, of that, you know what I mean? But the situation arose and, and that's, I felt that was the appropriate action. Oh, I mean, you, you struck a chord for all the old school people out there for sure. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, uh, so as much of a presence as you had on the ice throughout your entire career, you have the exact opposite presence on social media. Um, but in the irony of all ironies, you actually announced your retirement on Facebook July 6, 2016. So, uh, I, like you said, you already talked about that final season where you knew things weren't going well and the injuries were, were catching up to you. Uh, what led to that decision? I would imagine it was a family decision. And uh, and how'd you come to that final conclusion? Yeah, no, I just I just knew my body was done at that point. And yeah, going going on, I think that was one of my, I don't even know how much I, I post on that. But, you know, my my wife and, and I, we talk, we're like, let's just get it out there so everyone knows. And, and uh, yeah, it was, that was the end. I just knew my, I, my body couldn't handle any more punishment. And, uh, you know, I wanted to get into the other side of it and start a coaching career and, uh, yeah, move on, I guess, from the game. Uh but staying in the game at the same time. So uh, you jumped right in head first, uh, a full-time assistant coach with Bridgeport that you held that role up until the end of last season. Uh, I just want to ask you about uh, four players that you coached uh, that obviously I'm a fan of. Uh, uh, give me sort of your impressions of them. One guy, I, I think you probably will agree with me. I, I'm a bigger person. I'm not, I'm not as big as you are, but I love seeing the little guys. Like I love Kevin Kaminsky. I love these smaller guys that their engines never stop. And Bridgeport had a player, Travis St. Denis, who it seemed like his engine never stopped. I loved watching him play. Uh, what was it like coaching him? No, he was a, a great kid. Um, obviously, you know, he, he wishes things could have went a little bit better for him and he could have found the back of the net a little bit more mm-hmm. for us and, and uh, continued on his career that way. But when he played, he played with uh, intensity. That's for sure. He brought energy and, and intensity to the game, almost every game. And uh, what a lot of people didn't know about him and, and some of his opponents didn't know about him is that he was real sneaky tough. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. You know, he got in a few fights and we're like, I'm like saint. I went up to him. I'm like, I know you don't have to do this all the time, but if you want a little more room out there, you do this a few times a year. And, and you'll get that space because he, he could throw. He yeah. could throw straight down the pipe, and he caught a few guys off guard um, and did a real good job with that. But, uh, you know, he, he's, uh, he's off to Europe now, and he's uh, starting his career over there. And I wish him all the, the luck in the world because he, he's a good person. And, uh, you know, he, he gave us everything we, we kind of wanted. And, and uh, we, we never kind of sat back at an end of a season and say, oh, I wish he would have you know, put more effort out, you know, that was never, never a question with Saint. Um, again, he, he, you know, he, he had to add a few things to his game to, to take the next step and he, he just couldn't find a way to do that. 
Uh, next player is uh, a guy who it seems like the way the game is going and you're not, teams really aren't carrying heavyweights anymore. Um, and, and he's a regular player. He's team captain, I believe. Uh, Seth Helgeson, it seems like everything, uh, anything physical is going to fall on his back. Uh, and he's a veteran. Uh, what are your, what were your impressions of Seth while you coached him? No, Helgi's great. Um, obviously, uh, you know, I played against him uh, when he was in Albany and, and uh, he, he definitely had, had a presence and he's, he's a good character in the locker room. He's great for the guys, the young prospects. He leads by example, day in, day out. Uh, you always know what you're, you're getting from Helgi. He's always going to give a hundred percent effort. If uh, you know, if his, if the hands aren't working that night, you know, he's going to be laying the body. He's going to find a way to, to bring an asset to, to the game and, and, and try to help the team win. Uh Stand up guy, obviously, you know, he's going to stick up for his teammates. If, if things get out of hand, he'll jump in and he can handle himself against anyone in that league. Um, very, you know, and he, he, he understands the timing of it as well. Um, love the, love the guy, easy to coach. Uh, he's kind of like an, another coach in that locker room for us. And, and, uh, you know, he's, he's our, our leader and, and, uh, you know, the extension of our voices into that locker room. Uh, another physical defenseman who you didn't have full time, you had him for bits and pieces. Uh, former guest of the show, and that's Mike Cornell. Oh, Corny, yeah, <clears throat> uh, that's a guy you, you love to root for, eh? Like he he he'll block shots with his face. You know he'll he'll take a skate to the arm and try not to miss a shift. You know he 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 will play through anything, and and he's a you know he's that throwback style. He'll he'll hit, he'll run guys, uh, he'll fight anybody. And, uh, you know, just always willing to learn and, and grow. Like, that was the biggest thing with Corny. And, and sitting out a lot, it's it's tough. And, yeah. and I had some conversations with him. I'm like, you know, I've been there before, you know, maybe not at that, you know, at this level. But it's, it's, uh, it's a tough thing to handle. And you have to have the right mindset. And his mindset was to, you know, bring his best effort into practice, make the team better, um, and uh, help the young guys along the way because he, he doesn't he's been around for a long time and and he was always willing to learn I, I worked with him a lot after practice and and uh, just working on his skills and he, he loved it <clears throat> he loved to, to try to improve that game and uh, I, I wish <clears throat> again for him uh, there was a more of an opening for him uh, but uh, you know he did his job every time you put him in the lineup now, I told you I was going to ask you about four guys. I've asked you about three. So by the process of elimination, I, I would imagine you know who I'm going to ask you about. But it's a player that I enjoyed watching. I love watching his fights. And I never actually had spoken to him before he was a guest on the show. And I can't help but every time I think of this kid, I smile. I feel bad. I feel like he was born 20 years too late because of his enthusiasm and zeal for the role. Uh, but what was it like being around Yannick Turcotte? Oh, Turkey. <clears throat> yeah. No, I, you know what, Turkey, uh, he's, he was, uh, geez, he was like, I, I kind of call him like a mini Yabo, Yablonski, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, you know, he, he was like, you talk about a kid coming in shape. Like, uh, I think he was like, uh, he had rips in his jeans from his quads ripping out of them, blowing <laughs> holes through him. You know, he, he was, uh, that intimidating presence out on the ice and, uh, Yannick, he, he wanted to, he wanted to improve. He worked on his game. He, he talked to us about systems and, and video and, you know, he's a kid who was eager. He wanted to get into that lineup and, and find a spot on the team. You know, he did have a few fights with us in the AHL level. I know in the, 
in the East Coast level, he was very feared and yeah. very respected. And I just don't think he got that opportunity to uh, kind of showcase that. We did put him in games, and and I just don't think it happened for him. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, we were we were hoping it would for him, and and that could be, you know, his primary role on the team is to be that that guy that we had in our back pocket. If, if things get out of hand, you know, you can unleash Turcotte. Um, but, uh, he's, he's moving on to a different team and, uh, again, wish him all the best of luck in the world. But yeah, I, I worked uh, plenty of times with Turkey and, you know, fighting after practice, working on the technique and showing him a few tricks here and there. He, uh, <clears throat> he ripped, I, I learned I had to put on a hockey Jersey after the one, cause he tore my <laughs> uh, coach's jacket in half. So I had to get a new one, but, uh, yeah, <clears throat> again, a good guy and, and, uh, Definitely knew knew his role. Now, is your brother-in-law still involved with Hershey? Yes, he is. He's uh, he's a, a VP of hockey operations with the Bears. Oh well, for those of you who don't know, that's where Yannick is headed. So, uh, so basically, what it means is, if I want to go see him, I got to make a road trip to Hershey or wait for Hershey to come to Bridgeport. So, uh, no, I I hope he gets the opportunity there, and and I hope he becomes a full-time uh, American League player there. It'd be nice to see him uh, get the opportunity because, as you know, you know he works very hard. So. Oh yeah, no. There's the, there's no one who forechecks harder than Yannick Turcotte. He's he's like a, a missile coming after you, and if he if he lands a hit on you, you're you're gonna you're gonna notice it. He, he's a pretty physically imposing uh, kid, that's for sure. He had some injuries too with us, yeah. which you know really set him back and yeah. unfortunate. But uh, yeah, all the best to him for sure. Now, I, I hope that this next question I'm going to ask you doesn't embarrass you because I know you don't do these things for the um, for the notoriety, for the credit or anything. But I know that you've been involved with organizations such as the Capital City Condors, the Long Island Blues, and the Southern Connecticut Storm. So um, can you just talk about that, like uh, getting involved with those with those organizations and what your role was? Because it seems like it's something that's very important to you. Yeah, no, that that was something, you know, I carried over from the AHL. I was always involved in, in trying to help out with the community that I was living in and and uh, using, you know, some of my my uh, notoriety, I guess, to uh, kind of help organizations. So I, I kind of ran into, uh, I don't know, I, I guess uh, I, I wanted to find out who I could help in the Ottawa area when I, when I got there, uh, obviously I, I knew my hometown, I was going to help out with a local hospital and I ran a car rally called the Carcanator car and moto rally. It ran for like <laughs> three years and it was just a good fun event, family, you know, friendly event. And, and, uh, I think we ended up raising like 150 grand or something like oh that. Oh my God. That's awesome. Hospital. Yeah, which was pretty cool. You know, it was cool for a small town to come out and support the team. And I had great people, you know, coming out to help out. Sean Donovan, Jesse Winchester, Chris Neal, they all lent a hand. And, and uh, Chris Kelly, I believe, came out the one year as well. So, you know, you had some good people, uh, uh, you know, raising the profile of the event. Um, so, again, I, I, I talked to my agent and I said, what's a good organization that, you know, I could kind of get involved with? And he talked to me about Jim Perkins and the Capital City Condors which was a local kind of startup team for special needs hockey players. I'm like, wow, that's a pretty cool idea. You know, like at that point, it uh, wasn't as well known in my area anyways. And, and Jim saw a need for it because these kids otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to play. They were in the stands watching their your siblings play, you know, versus building that kind of social environment and, and kind of living out their dreams, you know, on the ice. So, 
it, it was really cool to to get involved with that and and it just started out as a you know a cup of coffee with jim and and uh that program grew from i think 28 kids to now there's a waiting list they have they have three teams i believe and and they have a waiting list for registration wow. so it's really done done great and and uh you know it, it was it was fun for me it was uh, great to be a part of and i handed uh the reins to Kyle Turris when i left and he even you know his profile and and his character he really took it to another level and, <clears throat> and still supports it to this day and as as do i but uh he's he's a great ambassador and then i think he he handed it off to uh you know uh, ryan condra uh, borowitzki um patrick weirkoch was involved and it's still there's still a relationship there with the senators and the condors uh you know from from way back and and i guess it was 2009 10. so i'm really happy to see that it's going strong and and then obviously when i came to long island i I found out the blues were, were in town and, and, uh, that just became kind of a relationship, a kind of event where, uh, I would invite the kids in to, to come in get the tour of the locker room after the games, meet the players, get some autographs. And, uh, I think we did a clinic or two. I went to a couple of games to coach a few games. It's just a fun relationship. And, and obviously we're, we're spreading the word for them at the same time, uh, to kind of help support the organization. And similar thing here with the storm. It, it was a little more, you know, I wasn't as involved with the storm. My kids are pretty busy in hockey, and I'm I'm never around, so I, I didn't have the time. And as a coach, <laughs> I I found my time was even less. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I I uh, we did a uh, we did clinics uh, with all the players and the all the uh, the storm players. So so they got to meet all the the Bridgeport Sound Tigers and and the coaches, and and obviously uh, it was just good to get. A relationship started there um and you know obviously uh i i would like to continue that and wherever else i end up here in the future but uh it's just something simple that you know i do it's nothing crazy it's it's just a little bit of time and and uh support really is all it is uh, to help these organizations out well the thing i will say is this as a as a fan of yours on the ice that you know i've en- i've enjoyed watching you through the years even before you uh were an islander but it's always the impact that uh an athlete can make off the ice uh with especially with children because um you never know like you, a kid could be having a bad day and here comes matt karkner especially if it's something where you're in a uniform or something like that it's like i just met a hockey player and especially for a kid i mean you're you're a mountain of a man you look larger than life and you could just make that kid's day week whatever and especially with the the extra stuff you've done you've really you know i don't know if there's a way to quantify how many lives you, you've probably uh impacted over your years there and i think Again, you don't do it for the for the compliments, but you know it should be acknowledged the uh, the stuff that you've done over the years. Well, no, I appreciate that, but yeah, I'm I'm trying to affect positively on on these kids because I've impacted a lot of players' lives negatively. If you know <laughs> what I mean. So, <laughs> so so it's kind of a I'm gonna pay pay it back a little bit here. So no, it's uh it's something simple, and there's so many great guys. I love you know, the game of hockey, there's a lot of good people involved and, and they all do great, great things. So, so, uh, I definitely encourage young people to, to get involved with it. And, and, you know, if they ever do become an NHL star, then they have that foundation and they, they'll definitely take it into, uh, their careers and their lives. Well, uh, 
Karks, this is the end of the interview. And uh, I just, again, I want to thank you for your time. I appreciate you working around my schedule. Uh, this has been uh, unbelievable. It's, I, I'm, I'm just so happy that you're able to chat with me and uh, I'm honored. And uh, the last question I ask everybody that I interview is, um, did I forget anything about your career? Is there anything about your career that I didn't bring up that you would like to bring out? All my all-star appearances. I don't there were so many. There were just, <laughs> that would be, have to be a separate interview. Okay. Yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> buddy, I think you, you've got it. You got everything covered. And I don't think we missed anything here. It was a, uh, I think you got the whole thing in a nutshell and, and uh, yeah, great job. Thank you very much. Well, I appreciate that. It was, uh, it was fun. You know, I I've said it, uh, you know, since the pandemic started, this, uh, podcast is one of the things that actually kept me sane. It keeps me in touch with people that I like to talk to. And, uh, you know, so I'm just, uh, I'm just thrilled that you gave me the opportunity and, uh, I wish you nothing but the best going forward and, um, for you and your family and, uh, we'll keep in touch. Yes, thank you very much, Joe. I appreciate it, and uh, very, very professional. And and uh, and yeah, you didn't you didn't catch me in any trick questions, so I appreciate that. You didn't test my memory that hard, so I looked semi intelligent and and all that. So I I really appreciate everything, and and uh, all the best to you too, Joe. All right, thanks, buddy. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye bye. Right, bye. Thanks again to Matt Karkner for the time. Uh, I hope that you people enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed conducting it. Matt's a good dude. Uh, really, really great interview. I know I've said that a bunch of times, but but he was fantastic. So uh, I know Matt really doesn't do too many interviews. And the fact that he, uh, he was kind enough to join me here on Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box, means the world to me. And definitely, like I said, check out Hero the Hero on... Amazon. It'll be a great gift for your kid for Christmas this year. So until next week, everybody, stay safe.